get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And that ball is gone. It's over the wall in an opposite field home run, or is it? Yes, it is. Circle the bases, Harrison. Number nine in an opposite field home run for Harrison Bader. And a young cranks one out to deep left. A hanging breaking ball. Gone! The shortstop comes through. And the Cardinals needed that in the worst way. And they get a two-run bomb from Paul DeYoung. That is what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest is the Cardinals. Don't look now. Playing good baseball. They've won seven of their last 10 games, 15 of their last 25 overall. And what you just heard in the highlights there has been the change for the Cardinals. They are slugging the hell out of the baseball right now. Of course, that's an OV drop he plays. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Guys, the Cardinals as a team in the second half of the season are slugging 470. That is seventh in all of baseball. It is fourth in the National League. The guys that did it last night, Bader and DeYoung, they've been leading the charge along with Paul Goldschmidt, but they're not alone. Nolan Arenado also has a 500 slugging percentage since the start of the second half of the season. It's very simple to explain how they're winning right now. They're hitting the ball hard. They're hitting a lot of home runs, and their starting pitching has stepped it up in a big way, as we saw last night. And they're celebrating the little things that Matt Carpenter does, right? Did he? Oh, yeah. Hey, technically, he... He was a big reason that they won yeah. that game last night. I'll give him props for that. Boys, I'm jumping on a bandwagon today. No, 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 no. Are you serious? I'm jumping on a bandwagon today, T-Bone. <laughs> no. Wait, 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 wait. Say it again. I'm jumping on a bandwagon today. Good no, on. it's not the Cardinals going to the playoffs bandwagon. It's oh. the Harrison Bader bandwagon. Oh, okay. Yeah, Can yeah, I jump cool. in on oh, the nerd yeah. numbers with you? Yeah. Because I nerded out last night after Harrison Bader oh. had some offensive success I'm go ahead there and sit down yeah just enjoy this for a minute i'm gonna grab myself a cold beer just i know it's 11 a.m we have beer here there's no beer it's in here it's a coffee I'll and it's been sitting on that counter for like okay. three days i wouldn't drink that so it's fine sit July. back and listen to uncle alex ferrario okay. tell me a story about never mike trout's younger brother harrison bader never tell me about bader call me uncle alex ever prefer daddy <laughs> I'm uncomfortable now. July 1st was when he went out on that injured list. Mm-hmm. Before that, 0 for 4 in a game. 0 for 4, injured list. People are like, oh, Bader sucks. Get rid of yeah. him, right? Trade him for a bag of balls. Yeah. Maybe a baseball bat that Paul DeYoung can swing. Oh. You know what he's done since he's come back from that injured list? Tell me. 406 batting average. A 1.185 OPS. Oh, baby. Five home runs, 16 RBIs, and 76 plate appearances. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I am on the bandwagon of Harrison Bader, and frankly, move that damn man up to the top of the order. Well, that's not happening. Well, what? He's shifting up to number six today. Yeah. Sooner or later, he's going to be hitting cleanup right behind Nolan Arenado. Yeah. No, that's not how this team operates. In all honesty, though, that game was Harrison Bader. Adam Wainwright was dealing, gives up the two-run bomb to Jose Ramirez, and honestly, T-Bone didn't watch the game because he was celebrating his grandma. Well, but as, didn't, as he should have. It was her birthday. But didn't and all of us birthday party? How do, not, how do you not celebrate watching Cardinals with her? Well, you know, normally they're not good. <laughs> That's true. All three of us, when that run was given up by Wainwright, we had to have sat there and go, oh, here we go. This is going to be a 2-1 loss. That, in fact, that's the one thing I saw. I'm like, ball game, game don't over. have to see the rest. But Harrison Bader breathed life back into that team. And I know Paul DeYoung hit that big run that he needed to to make sure that they took the lead, but Harrison Bader was the only one with hits two times through the order. Mm-hmm. Harrison Bader is the spark plug right now. Like it or not, if this team does have success, which I'm not jumping on that bandwagon yet, but if they have success, he's going to be a big reason why, because he was an element that they didn't have early on. This season, he's now batting 300 on the year. Like, forget what he's done over the last month. No, what he's cool. done over the last month has Just been so good. Forget my no, 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 no. It's, it, it's important because that's how he's got back on track for the season numbers. He's batting 300 now for the season. He's getting on base at a 370 clip. His slugging percentage for the year is at 550. The only guys that have produced better from the center field position in the National League are Brian Reynolds and Cattell Marte. Brian Reynolds just got traded to are the you, Padres because he's awesome. Are you telling me that the Cardinals have Cattell Marte on their roster? Basically, production-wise. He's better than George Springer, guys. Like, think about that for a minute. Yep. He wanted to spend $200 million on George Springer this offseason, and Harrison Bader is playing better than George Springer. Wow. Wow. Thanks, Owen Wilson. It's been amazing. It really has been awesome to watch the Harrison Bader emergence. And Adam Wainwright talked about this earlier today with Carriker and Smallman, I believe it was, about what he's seen from Harrison Bader of late. I mean, it's fun to watch. I know that. And we need it for sure. So uh, we always said if Harrison would just hit like 225, 250, hit 250 with that that incredible defense, a couple of bombs every now and then. But now we're like, Wow. No, there's a lot more in the tank than we thought. This is impressive. He's been everything they could have asked for and then some offensively this year. I don't expect him to keep this up, by the way. He's not a 300 hitter. No. That's okay. But the way that he's going about it, the aggressiveness on the mistake pitches, the way that he's laying off some of these sliders away. And by the way, I said Brian Frazier got traded. It was Adam Frazier. That's my apologies. Got Wait, the, you're trading players Got now? the Frazier's. Conti- no, honesty, no, no. Though, Adam thought- Frazier got traded. Yeah. Brian Frazier is the center fielder for the Pirates. Brian all, Reynolds is the Brian center fielder. Brian Reynolds honesty, is the center fielder. I thought they were the <laughs> same person, so it's fine. <laughs> I, I really did. They both went to the All-Star game, and I'm like, aren't they the same it's person? the Pirates. They're not yeah. a real baseball team. You guys understand. That's my That's apologies. True. I messed up Nothing there. Nothing they do means anything. He's not oh, going to be a 300 okay. hitter this season, but I actually think what Wayno said there is kind of instructive on the player that he can be. He's probably going to settle in as around a 250 or a 260 hitter with the stuff that he's doing right now at the plate. He's getting on base at a pretty good clip. He's walking a lot more than he had been in his in his previous history. If he can be this guy for him, we talked about this earlier today with Ricky Horton. I know we've mentioned it as well, Alex. You've got your outfield. Yeah, you're set. Tyler O'Neill brings the power. And right now he's going through a quote unquote slump where he's still batting like 270, even in the slump. That's great. If this is what the down period looks like for Tyler O'Neill. You can live with this. Same thing for Dylan Carlson. He's slumping right now offensively at the plate, but he's still slugging. 
that's fine. You can live with that as long as he's bringing something to the plate. And now you've got Harrison Bader doing what he's been doing for the last month and a half or so. It's awesome, man. It's great to see that the patience that this team had is finally paying off. They've got their three starting outfielders. They also have an ace. I know Jack Flaherty's on the injured list, but what we saw last night from Adam Wainwright is just a continuation of what we've seen from him all season long. This is what an ace looked like. I heard after his most recent start prior to last night, Anthony Stalter came on the radio. He's going slow solo that day. And he said, you know, I didn't really understand the whole ace moniker that St. Louis had, right? Where it was like, there's only certain guys that can carry that label. Now you get it. When you watch Adam Wainwright on any given night, you can feel it. You can exact, you can see what Cardinals fans are talking about when they say he's the one that has earned that label. What's up? You just going to say that and act like you didn't shoot me down when I said that on the air about a month ago. When Jack gets back, I expect him to be the number one starter for this team still. But Adam Wainwright right now has taken on that label as being the ace. Yeah. I have, I have great thoughts. You, just, you hated Harrison Bader a month ago. I, no, so, it wasn't a month ago. With it was new information. You know, one I, hated, I hated Matt Carpenter a month ago, guys. Harrison Bader, I've never really hated him and just figured you can get rid of him. Oh, but, so you've quit hating Carp? No, cook carp still. But look, Wayno is still the ace. And I, Jack Flaherty is the better player. Jack Flaherty has more talent. But Adam Wainwright has the ability to do things that nobody else on this roster can. And it's go out there and steal games. And I understand Jack Flaherty can steal games for you, but not in the way that Adam Wainwright can. Because teams go into a, a matchup against Adam Wainwright and they're like, oh, this is their oldest pitcher. This is their fifth starter. This should be a cakewalk for us. And he goes out there and he's throwing curveballs nonstop and he's striking guys out and he's leaving guys on base and he's given up two runs through seven innings. Like you, you don't have a lot of those guys on your roster right now. So Adam Wainwright, in my opinion, still is that. And I get where everyone comes back and Jack Flaherty is the ace. Yes. But T-Bone was over here talking about having an elite number two next year, right? Adam Wainwright might be that guy for you. Yeah. And I don't know if he can do it again next year. Frankly, it's hard to question that he could do it again for you next year, but maybe he can't. But he's that guy for you because he is your second best pitcher on this roster right now in terms of starters when Jack Flaherty's healthy. Yes. Adam Wainwright could definitely fill that number two, elite number two starter for next year and possibly this year. But uh, the way he's pitching, you're right, BK. This is what we think of when we think of an ace. A guy that's going to go out there, you know exactly it's six or seven innings. You know you're going to get to those the big three in the bullpen. You know you're going to get the quality start. And if he gets roughed up like he's had, I think only one or two outings where he's gone, uh, where he's given up like five or more, then that that's when you say, wow, that that that's really off. That's a that's not an Adam Wainwright start. And the most impressive part about it is because he's doing it while he doesn't throw hard. He's showing the pitching staff behind him, the guys that are walking a bunch of batters like Oviedo, Gantt, uh, Woodford, who, who's been better since he's been recalled. Of uh, You don't have to give max effort. It's all about placement and let, let your defense play behind you. He is right now tied for sixth in all of baseball and in innings pitched this year. He's 39 years old. The only guys that have thrown more innings than him this year are like Wheeler, Bueller, Grinky, Woodruff, who's in the Cy Young conversation. He's thrown more innings than Garrett Cole and Jose Barrios and our favorite guy, Gibby, Lucas Giolito. 
Like some of the best pitchers in baseball are behind him when it comes to the amount of innings that they've thrown in 2021. It's wild, man. And I always go back to that conversation he had with Danny Mack in the offseason where he told Dan about, I think it was the 2019 playoffs where he had a conversation with Maddox and he said, hey, listen, don't push Jack Flaherty here. If my arm falls off while I'm on the mound, I've had a good career. I feel good about it. I, I could walk off the mound today and never pitch again, and I'm confident that I'd, I'd go on to have a good life and whatever else comes next. I've had a great career already. Don't push those young guys. They've got a bright future ahead of them. That's what he's been for this team this year. From start to finish, he's been the guy that they can go out there every time knowing he's going to give them six strong innings. He's now thrown at least seven innings and ten starts this year, Alex. All of the other Cardinal starters combined have done it seven times. He's done it 10. It's amazing. It, it really is. And he's been the ace that they needed since Jack Flaherty went down. It's going to be interesting to see what this rotation looks like when all of those guys get back. It's 11, 12, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler coming up in about 15 minutes or so. The stars of the major league baseball trade deadline. I thought it was going to be Chicago. It's actually in Washington, D.C. with the Nationals. We'll check in with the Nationals with Grant Paulson coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the dream is dead, boys. Gabriel Landeskog, back to Colorado. But when one dream dies, another opens up. Or does it? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Calgary, the Calgary Flames tomorrow hit unrestricted free agency and they haven't re-upped some of their guys or they don't jump in the pool as far as signing other players that are, you know, cost them some money. They're telling the league what their plans are for Matthew Kachuk. That is what it sounded like yesterday when Jamie Rivers was on the fast lane talking about what the Blues do if at that point now when Gabriel Landeskog ends up signing elsewhere, Landeskog has signed an eight year deal with the Colorado avalanche called $7 million per year. I believe it's the first five years of that deal have a full no move clause in it as well. He's going to stay home. It makes sense. I wasn't sure that that was going to happen just because I didn't know if the avalanche were going to be able to, or be willing to up their offer like that. Yeah. Well, I clearly did. I was just telling T-Bone before the show started BK, like I I don't get what what Colorado's doing. Because you don't have a goaltender now. And Grubauer's hit the free agent market. Now, maybe he goes back and re-signs there. But, man, if I'm Colorado, I think I'm signing my goaltender to the long-term extension. And then I'm re-upping with Landeskog if I can. Because now you got an awesome offense, but you don't have a goaltender anymore. Maybe they get him back, I don't know. But I'm a little surprised by that. But as Greg Wyshynski told us last week, his stuff's in Colorado. And that's always the hard part to get a guy to go somewhere else. And it's probably a slightly below market value deal. They probably got him on a little bit of a hometown discount. I'm guessing he probably could have gotten a little more elsewhere. Yeah. Maybe seven years and $8 million or per nine. season. And so you get another bite at the apple. But it he's he's going to make his money. He's, he's doing fine. So Gabriel Landeskog, that was one of the big fish that we talked about he's officially off the market the other one that we've talked about since the start uh, or since the end of the blue season is Matthew Kachuk now he's got one year left of control after this season from Calgary he'll be a restricted free agent next year so it's possible nothing happens between now and the start of the season he stays with Calgary and that's the way this goes but as you heard from Jamie 
today's events from Calgary will determine what the future potentially holds for Matthew Kachuk there. Alex, we're talking about this during the break because it was just announced that Calgary has signed Blake Coleman, the former Tampa Bay Lightning's forward, and they signed him to a big deal. Six years, $4.9 million per year. That's overpaying. So basically a $30 million contract for a guy that projects later on as a third line forward. Yeah. What does this mean for Matthew Kachuk? Does this make it more likely that he stays in Calgary because they're trying to build around him or less likely because this is somebody that plays not the same style, the same game as Kachuk, but similar stylistically with Kachuk? Look, if you would have asked me that 10 minutes ago, I would have said, man, that's all signs pointing towards Calgary keeping Kachuk just to make a cup run because they signed Coleman and they just acquired Nikita Zadorov, a big defenseman who I thought would make sense for the Blues if he ever hit restricted or unrestricted free agency. He was just traded to Calgary. So they're making some noise in free agency. But then our guy, Lou Korak of NHL.com, he just put this tweet out and it's making me rethink things. He said, I'm just spitballing here, but with Blake Coleman going to Calgary, I wonder if it makes it easier, more willing, perhaps for the Flames to flip Matthew Kachuk. Should they do it now, if at all? And the reason that I think that he's on to something here is you just signed a top six winger for you right now. In my opinion, you overpaid for him. But hey, he's a two time 20 goal scorer. He's a two time Stanley Cup champion. If anything, that's going to benefit you. Calgary's got $13 million in cap space right now. They got two guys that'll be free agents after this season. One unrestricted in Johnny Goudreau, who's 27 years old. He's a top winger for him, and he has been outspoken about wanting to stay in Calgary. He's been in trade rumors, but he's been outspoken that he wants to stay in Calgary. Then you have the restricted free agent in Matthew Kachuk. And Matthew Kachuk... He hasn't been outspoken about wanting to be traded. That's just all been rumors from people to saying that he doesn't want to be there. Kachuk has never said any of that. It feels more like he wants to be in St. Louis, too, than he wants to be. He wants out of Calgary. Exactly. And that's where I'm getting at with this. You just got Blake Coleman, who's a top six winger. You have guys who want to be there. You're not a cup contender this year. I don't care what they do. You're not a cup contender this year for Calgary. Do you go to Kachuk and say, look, you don't want to be here. That's fine. You want to be in St. Louis. Let's flip you to St. Louis and get something in return that makes us closer to being a cup contender. That's the only thing I can kind of jump on board with Lou Korak here of where he's spitballing. Again, that's just Lou giving his assumption in the situation here. Um, I could see it, but on the flip side of that, Calgary's going to want to make a push. And if you got one more year of control with Matthew before he hits RFA, you might try and just make a run at it. So I guess the rest of free agency is going to really tell the tell the hand of what Calgary's going to do this year. I think today will also tell the hand for the Blues. Like If they go out and sign Brandon Saad, with the deals that we're seeing, th- there's no below-market deals coming yeah, in. Like, flat cap my rear end. These deals are going to be expensive, and it's going to be something where Hey-o. a lot of teams have opened up cap space, and they're assuming three years from now these are going to look like bargains because the cap will eventually spike back up again for right. the NHL. Maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't, but that's the assumption that appears to be being made. Brandon Saad's going to get paid. Yeah. If the Blues go out there and sign him to a four-year deal worth $6 million per season, which might be what it takes, honestly, at this point, that probably suggests to me that they're out on the Matthew Kachuk sweepstakes for this offseason. But if we don't hear any news today, maybe nothing tomorrow, maybe nothing even on Friday, that's when my ears are going to start perking up. 
Because this team clearly needs an answer at left wing. Yep. They need somebody. It can't just be the one move. There's got to be more coming for this team to be a contender next year. And we know they believe they're in their window right now. That would seem to suggest to me they think there's more traction than we initially believed with this Matthew Kachuk thing. So whether it be Calgary's moves or the Blues' lack of moves today, I think that's how we know that something's potentially there. Yeah, and look, I've gotten a lot of messages today saying, oh, what's Doug Armstrong going to do? It's eerily quiet. Look, I don't expect him to be very aggressive today. I really don't because teams are overpaying. Guys, a third-line center called Mikel Granlund, he just got $20 million over four years to play in Nashville. That's overpaying for a guy in free agency trying to stay above water in the Central Division. Doug's not going to do that. Let's be honest. I mean, we, we saw the reports yesterday. It sounds like Jaden Schwartz is going to get six-plus million dollars per year. Brandon, as much as we love Jaden Schwartz, right. it's overpaying. Brandon Saad is going to get comparable, if not more, than what Blake Coleman just got from Calgary. And that, you know, I, I, our audience certainly knows yeah. I'm the biggest Brandon Saad fan there is. That, that's overpaying. That's overpaying. And I just don't see Doug doing that. Now, maybe because we haven't heard anything with Brandon Saad, maybe that means that Doug's trying to negotiate something underneath the table where it's like, hey, look, go out and ch- check the market, but we got something for you here. You can be a part of a cup contender in the Central Division. I don't know where you're going with that. But I don't see Doug being very aggressive today. I don't see him being very aggressive tomorrow in terms of free agents because you don't want to handcuff yourself. But I'm with you. If you stay this quiet, while other teams are upgrading. Look, Chicago has gotten much better over the last couple of days. Dallas has gotten better today with the announcement of Ryan Suter, who also was overpaid for. The Central's not going to be easy. Doug always has a plan. Sounds like a t-shirt. Maybe we need to make that for us. Became for our first t-shirt. But he does. So I'm with you. It's either Matthew Kachuk or there's a trade in the works with Vladimir Tarasenko that's going to upgrade the position of weakness. That's where this all starts still. That's where I wanted to get to next because Vladimir Tarasenko is still the key to all of it. Mm -hmm. It could be the key to unlocking Matthew Kachuk. Here's Jamie Rivers yesterday on the fast lane talking about what he would be willing to trade for Matthew Kachuk. I'm almost willing to part with anything on my roster to get him. Honestly, think of the point totals that he's had, his age and everything that he brings to the table. Ryan O'Reilly would probably be your only guy that you deem untouchable at that point. Matthew Kachuk, $7 million this year. He's got a restricted free agent tag next year that you could use. Probably going to extend him. Similar to the Buchnevas uh, situation. Buchnevich. What am I doing Dude, here? Dude, you what spent this entire week saying the name over and over and over. Buchnevich, Buchnevich, I messed Buchnevich, up the name Buchnevich. in the first segment, and then I do it again in the second one. Okay, it, try that. Something's gone terribly Take wrong. Two. No, we're not. We're not. Um, we're not going back there. Buch- if you're Buchnevich? going to make this kind of a deal, you need Vladimir Tarasenko to be involved in it. And when we talked to JR yesterday, I thought one of the most important answers that he gave us is that he believes... Vladdy will waive his no trade clause basically to anywhere right now. If that includes Calgary and Calgary's interested in Vladdy, who could potentially be a 30 goal scorer again for them. And you add in, maybe it's Robert Thomas. Maybe it's another first round pick, possibly a prospect. That's just dealing prospects now. That's a pretty good haul that you could get in return for Matthew Kachuk. Now I wouldn't do it. If I was in charge of Calgary, I would keep the guy that's a franchise player, but But they might. But why, if you're Calgary and you say, oh, we're going to hold on to Matthew Kachuk because he's a, he's a, he doesn't want to stay there. Like, if you know that once he hits Because UFA, I want to see it one more year. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not in the business of getting rid of franchise players before I have to. 
and I don't know that they're going to do that. Like they, what, what, they may look at it differently. I'm saying from my own perspective, yeah, but it doesn't matter what BK and St. Louis. No, thinks, I know, though. but we're putting ourselves in the shoes of the Calgary Flames GM right now. Like Brad Traveling, we're putting ourselves in his shoes. What gets you closer to a cup? Matthew Kachuk on the team, who I think Matthew Kachuk makes you closer to the cup. Yeah. But if you trade away a guy who may not want to be there and you bring in more pieces, because let's be honest, if you're going to make a trade with Calgary to get Matthew Kachuk, you're going to overpay to get him. We might be fine with it because we know who Matthew Kachuk is. Do you think that changes next year? Like, is that is that... That trade maybe won't be on the table, but is something similar or better it's on less. the table? No, it's less because no other teams are going to try and make a trade with Matthew Kachuk because they know you're just getting him for a year. Because when he hits UFA after his one year of RFA, he's going to walk. Unless he says he wants to stay there. I mean, if you if you pay him money, it may, maybe this changes, right? But it just it, it 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 just seems like a scenario that if you're Doug Armstrong, you're checking in on it now because if you're Calgary, yes. Kachuk is a better player in any player you're going to acquire from the Blues, unless it's a package. And even then, I still think Matthew's going to be better than anybody you trade to yes, Calgary. He's 23 years old and just entering his prime, and he's a guy that's already scored 23 plus goals in but two you of the haven't last made four, the three pl- last But you years. haven't had success in the playoffs. And I think you made the playoffs in the bubble and you got bounced in the first round. You haven't had success in the playoffs with him. Do you just move the guy who's only going to be here for one year and get controllable players and maybe makes you a better team now that you've signed Blake Coleman? That's the question I think that you're going to be juggling right now because at the end of the day, I don't know how much more Matthew Kachuk is going to give Calgary considering he's going to be a UFA, and I'm with Jamie. Now, I don't know if I'd give them anything off of my roster, and I know he said not Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, frankly, I don't think you can justify getting rid of a Colton Pareko or a Justin Falk, because frankly, you get rid of one of those guys, you're not going to be a cup contender because your defense is bad. But other than those three, yeah, I'll give you anything. Get me the guy who makes me that much closer to a a Stanley Cup, because on the left side of Kachuk and Buchnevich, you're better than anybody in the Central Division, in my opinion. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Grant Paulson hosts the Grant and Danny Show on 106.7 The Fan up in D.C. They have certainly had plenty to talk about over the last couple of days with Max Scherzer officially becoming available, Trey Turner being brought up in trade discussions. What's going on with the Nationals? What does the future hold for Scherzer? We'll talk to Grant Paulson about that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get into the questions and answers coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. We'll be joined by Grant Paulson via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line here in just a minute. He's the host of Grant and Danny on 1067 The Fan in DC. He is uh keeping all of his listeners apprised He's got a of busy what's day going right on now. with the Nationals, <laughs> yeah, to say the least. He's got three days away from free age or from trade deadline in Major League Baseball, and the Nationals seem like they're selling house. And then on top of it, you've got free agency in hockey, which, of course, he covers the Washington Capitals as well. And if I'm not mistaken, when does the Washington football team open training camp? Uh, everybody's in camp officially today. Okay, so this <laughs> man is probably the busiest man in D.C. right now. Yeah, and he's taking a little bit of time out of his busy schedule to speak with us schmucks here in St. Louis. So we appreciate oh, you doing so. Grant. Thanks me. so much for hopping on with us today. What's going on with the latest with the Nationals? Are they just selling everybody at this point? <laughs> 
So if they have a player that is not under contract for 2022, guys, that player's probably in discussions to be traded, and there's a good chance they'll be moved. I think what's more interesting is, because that's your easy sell mode when you're not competing this year, which based on losing six of their last eight and, and 16 of their last 22, that's where they're at. Uh, what happens with players that are under contract in 22 and beyond, You know that are under team control beyond the end of this season? Trey Turner's name comes to mind. Josh Bell is another player they consider part of their core for next year. Uh, they need to have their socks knocked off. I don't think they'll trade Trey Turner. Obviously, his name is being linked in trade discussions at this point. But Max Scherzer will be moved, and several of their other pending free agents are going to be on the move. Grant, speaking of Trey Turner, I saw the report, I believe it was from Peter Gammons a couple of days ago, who basically said it seems like the Nationals aren't willing to give him a long-term contract. Are you surprised by that? Yeah, I'm stunned by that. Uh, It is their M.O., for the record. I mean, they didn't give Bryce Harper a long-term contract. He walked. They didn't give Anthony Rendon a long-term contract. He walked. And so this is what they've done with their elite bats. They like to talk about how they've had so many superstar hitters, and that's true. Uh, They've, in some ways, gotten lucky to acquire some of those guys. I mean, Bryce Harper was drafted 1-1 when they lost 100-plus games. It's not like that was some amazing scouting that they did or anything. Uh, Trey Turner was an incredible trade that they pulled off. It was one of the most lopsided trades in history, and Mike Rizzo deserves a ton of credit. They gave up a a 4A outfielder type and Steven Souza in a three-team deal, and they got Trey Turner, who was one of the best players in the sport, and Joe Ross, who's been a, a fixture in their rotation, went healthy over the last few years in that swap, which is just crazy. But having said that, they have shown no propensity to sign hitters. They prefer paying for starting pitching. Uh, you look at Max Scherzer, who they've had for six and a half seasons and could get moved tonight or tomorrow. You know, he signed a $200 million contract several years ago that will go down as the best free agent contract in team and maybe Major League Baseball history. Steven Strasburg, and this has blown up in their face to this point because he hasn't been healthy since, but after becoming the World Series MVP, he signed a seven-year $245 million extension. They went out and got Patrick Corbin, who has struggled immensely the last year and change, but was unbelievable in 2019 when they won the World Series and helped them get to the top of baseball's mountain. I mean, he got a $140 million contract to be their number three starter. So you can't say they're cheap, but they just don't seem to prefer to pay bats. They prefer to pay arms. And so for that reason, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but Turner's different. You know, he's got a skill set. You look at the fact that he's a top-20 guy in war in the sport since 2016. He's got the most steals in that time. He could be 30-30 with homers and steals the next few years. I just thought because he's not represented by Scott Boris, which Harper, Rendon, you know, Juan Soto, their other stars are, those guys are going to get the free agency. That's the Boris way. Trey Turner is a CAA guy. His agent has gotten deals done ahead of free agency with great players like Jacob deGrom. All along, I thought that would be the case, and so if they're not able to, it would be really discouraging for this fan base. This is a major market. You know, the learners are very, very rich owners, and nobody around here wants to be the Oakland A's or the Tampa Bay Rays that just kind of has players for six years and then watches them walk to go to, to teams you know, in other markets that spend more money. Grant Paulson is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He hosts the Grant and Danny show on 106.7 The Fan in D.C. He's been paying attention, certainly as a Nationals insider, to all of the latest with their potential moves. Grant, what did, what do you think is the most likely scenario with Max Scherzer? You said that he's likely to be traded. Do you think he comes back to Washington after that, or do you think he ends up signing wherever he ends up getting traded this year? 
Yeah, I've been told his preference is to stay where he goes. You know, in other words, not to uproot his life and his family for a couple of months as a rental. Uh, he has 10 and 5 rights, as you guys know, right? Collectively bargained. So as a 10-year big leaguer who's been in D.C. for five-plus years, he will have some say on where he ends up. Mike Rizzo was on our station this morning and said that Max Scherzer's well-being, you know, his happiness is a priority here. They obviously need to do best for themselves as an organization. They're not going to take an inferior or a bad deal, but they want him to feel good about where he ends up. And I do think part of that is he wants to go somewhere where he can see himself signing an extension. I think he'll end up in the National League West. I think it's an arms race between the Dodgers, the Padres, and the San Francisco Giants. There are other teams courting him. Uh, yesterday, John Heyman had 14 teams listed. I think that's a little bit outlandish. I think it's probably more like six or seven actual suitors. Uh, we've heard that he doesn't want to play for the Mets, that he doesn't want to play in the division for the Phillies on the East Coast. So I think he'll head out West. I think it's the Dodgers, the Giants, or the Padres, if I had to guess. I'd say he'll end up in Los Angeles. Uh, he wants to go somewhere, I would imagine, number one, where he can try to win a second World Series, and most importantly, number two, where he could see himself next year and the year after. Uh, to, to answer your, your first question last, though, I don't see him coming back here. I mean, th this has been an unbelievable marriage, and he's got great relationships with Mike Rizzo and the learners and everybody in the organization. But I think he views himself now as kind of a hired gun for a couple of seasons, and is it realistic that the Nats are going to be a World Series caliber team next year? No. He had a birthday yesterday. He's closing on 40 years old. I think he'd like to go to one of the best teams in the sport. Uh, Grant, I'm just trying to, to figure out how the Nationals sell this to the fan base because, I mean, I mean, they've said that everyone's available except Juan Soto, and, I mean, obviously that's a lot of guys up for grabs, and you're a couple of years removed from a World Series, and I know Anthony Rendon walked after his free agency year, but, I mean, that's got to be tough not just to hear for Juan Soto but for the fans as well. Well, I think it's really tough to hear for them. I think you guys are correct on that. I mean, a couple things. So, number one, here's kind of what they'll say. They have been one of, and I think it's actually the top three teams in baseball and win count over the last ten years or so in the regular season and the playoffs. I want to say it's the Yankees and maybe the Dodgers who have won more games than the Nationals. So, Mike Rizzo, and he referenced this today on the air with us, he said that, it's okay. There's no shame in taking a step back after a decade, essentially, of competing and being playoff caliber year in and year out. This does happen. Teams win championships, and then oftentimes, immediately, they don't necessarily detonate, but they reload. And the Nationals didn't do that right away, per se, other than losing Rendon, but over time, you're seeing that happen now over multiple seasons. So I agree with him on that. I mean, you can't stay really, really good at the major league level and have a strong system where you're just ready to constantly replenish unless you just operate with no budget like the Dodgers who are able to do that, and most teams aren't. Um, the, the owners here, the learners, I think run the team like a business in the same way that if you ran a coffee shop, you're not going to try to take losses all the time. So you know, it's not like the Dodgers where they're just going to throw money at problems. So that's, I think, how they sell it. They, they want to be competitive at all times. They want to extend the window as best as possible. And the smartest, best way right now to make sure they have a chance to win next year is to trade Max Scherzer for a couple of talented minor leaguers, is to trade Daniel Hudson, who's got an expiring contract, and Brad Hand, who's not going to be here next year anyway, and whoever else is on a deal that ends this season. Where you have a differentiating thought, though, is Trey Turner. And that's where it wouldn't make sense to me. Unless they got a package they just couldn't refuse, which is, for the record, what Mike Rizzo has said publicly all along, not that they're trying to trade Trey, but just that they would if someone called with a package of players that 
blew them away. It would make no sense to me to trade a guy like Turner who's under team control next year and who you still have all offseason to try to sign. Anything they do with players that are just rentals for the rest of the year and a year that's lost, to me it's malpractice not to trade those guys to get something back for the future. They've got one of the worst farm systems in baseball because of all the deals they've made to stay contending and at the top of their division over the years at the major league level. Well, that brings me to my next question, which of course is, what's it going to take to get Josh Harrison off of your hands? Josh Harrison could probably be anybody's for the you know a phone call and the right price, which I would imagine is like a a mid level minor leaguer. I mean, he I will say this incredible clubhouse guy, extremely popular with the team, but in the grand scheme of the big picture, long term Washington Nationals, he's not in the plans. So if you're calling me and asking for Josh Harrison, I'm looking at prospects in your system I like. I'll throw three or four names at you, and we can make a deal pretty quickly. That sounds good to me. A 285 hitter that hits for a little bit of pop but gets on base at a good level. That's something the Cardinals could use. How likely do you think it is that Brad Hand and Hudson are both gone? I think they're both traded, yeah. The only pause I would have is on Brad Hand. He's had such a disaster of a week. He blew two saves in back-to-back games, and his, his stuff has just not played the same this week. That happening right before the deadline complicates things. But, look, this is one of the best lefties statistically in the game, left on left over the last five or six years. And he doesn't have to go to a contender to close. Like, you could bring him in as a specialist of sorts or as a seventh-inning guy, which would be a much more, I would say, decent spot for him than how the Nats have used him here while struggling over the last couple of weeks. So the only pause I have is just how he's pitched. But I still think you can find a dance partner. He's had too good of a career for too long, and he's been in too many big spots pitching in the playoffs. So if you're asking like 1 to 100 chance that both get traded, I would say 95%. Grant, final one for you, and we appreciate your time because I know you're a busy man right now with everything going on, but I have one hockey question for you because Vladimir Tarasenko's name has been in the rumor mill a lot over these last few weeks, of course, wanting to be traded away, and he's been tied with the Washington Capitals, and I know some people have tied his name to possibly Evgeny Kuznetsov, who might need a change of scenery as well. Do you think that that could be something in the works and something that would make sense for both sides? It would make a lot of sense for the Capitals, I can tell you that. I mean, here in D.C., fans, the media, and I think a lot of people in that organization would be elated to make some type of a deal with those two involved. Look, Kuznetsov is unbelievably talented. He was the best player in the postseason for the Capitals when they won their Stanley Cup back in 18. Ovechkin was also incredible, and as something of a Lifetime Achievement Award, he was named the Conn Smythe, and, and it's a great thing that that happened for him and for the organization. But Kuznetsov was their spark plug, their best player, and the guy that helped carry them to that championship. We saw it over a several-week span. But this is a player, guys, who was once asked about, you know, when he was the best player in the month, I think he was named the first star in the NHL for a month. Someone said, hey, you've really elevated your game. Like, you could win a, a hard trophy, win the MVP award. What would you think about that? And you can look this up. His answer was something along the lines of, yeah, I'm not really interested in that. Those guys have to work really hard every single day. And It was something like that. And you go, oh, my God, well, who says that? That kind of embodies what the last couple of years have been like with him. There are just shifts and games where he has you banging your head against the wall. He's been in and out of the COVID protocols, and he's been in trouble for being late to meetings and all kinds of things. So I think there are a lot of people with the Caps, and I don't mean just fans and media who are way over Kuznetsov at this point, but with the team, as good as he is, who say, 
all right, let's try something different. Let's move on from that contract. So that is a deal that I think a lot of people around here would sign up for. And if you can get him back to being invested and and every single shift mattering and game in, game out, playing at the level that he's capable of, he's one of the most talented playmaking centers in the league. He he is an incredible hockey player. Hey, Grant, we appreciate you taking some time with us today, man. Thanks so much, and uh, all the best with what I would imagine is going to be a pretty busy next 48 hours or so for you out there in uh, in D.C. I appreciate it. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Not the kind of fun we were hoping for, but... (laughs) Interesting, nonetheless. Hey, we've Thanks, all Grant. been there, man. That's Grant Paulson, host of Grant and Danny on 106.7 The Fan in D.C. You can follow him on Twitter, at Grant H. Paulson. So let's get to two things here on the back end, and then we'll get to questions and answers coming up here in just a few minutes. One, Josh Harrison sounds like the perfect addition for the Cardinals. Dream Great come true. house member, yep. guy that's going to come cheap, both in terms of prospect hall and money. He's a rally squirrel for the Cardinals. Imminently available. Get him. It's Tanner's favorite tender date. Always available. Super swag. (laughs) I'm ready to go with Josh Harrison. The other thing, if they could expand it to include one of those two arms, Brad Hand or Hudson, that would be the perfect kind of deal for the Cardinals. Trade a mid-tier prospect, maybe right outside of the top 10-ish range for the Cardinals, and you're able to get a second baseman who hits well against righties and a back end of your bullpen type of an arm that can take a little bit of that stress off of Cabrera, Gallegos, and Reyes, Yeah, that's the kind of deal that puts this team potentially back into contention. I, I love those two more quick things that I'd like to say. Uh, also, you need to be involved in this Trey Turner situation. And, and I don't know what it's going to cost. Probably a $300 lot. Million. That's fine. But, I mean, I, look, I know. DeWallet's <laughs> open. looked at me with clear eyes and said, yeah, $300 million sounds DeWallet's good. I'm sure that'll work. He's better than any other option that's going to be on the market. And I know yesterday Jim Bowden said Corey Seager's the guy. I think Trey Turner's the guy. I don't know if you can acquire the guy in the trade in the offseason because it sure as heck seems like you're going to be trading everybody in your Washington Nationals. And then the second one, uh, nobody wants Evgeny Kuznetsov right now in St. Louis. So wipe that slate clean because... That's a guy that if, if you Are got, we sure? Yeah, you just he just told you that the guy said, Oh, that seems like it's too hard of a thing to work for. You don't want that guy playing in a system with Craig Baruby who calls people out if they're not working on the ice. He scratched Mike Hoffman for not playing hard. You think this guy's gonna be good with it? So the problem is the contract. If he didn't have multiple years left, I would totally do it. The only reason that he was so good in Washington was because Barry Trotz found found a way to get to him. And when they lost Barry Trotz, that's when they lost Kuznetsov. And that's why they haven't been back to the Stanley Cup final since. If you had two years left on his deal, instead of it's four, right? That's left. Yeah, four so. years left remaining on his contract. If you nope. had two, nope. I think the Blues could get away with it because I actually think Craig Berube has a way of doing that for a year or two. But eventually the player reverts back to his normal yeah. habits, right? And I think you could get a good year, maybe two out of Kuznetsov, and it could be worth it to get the back end of this window. He has four years left at $7.8 million per year. Not That's just it. not something that you can no, go in on. Not worth it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Questions and answers is next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. service x line for questions and answers alex looked at me right before the segment and said bk do not look at the text line right now it's like the so, lineup game okay uh what, what would you like me to do then he's like just don't worry about it don't look at the text line i've got a question that i would like to ask for you all right from the 314 hey guys mike here love questions and answers segment just wanted to ask bk who i should put in as the reliever today you know 
since BK likes to question decisions. Who's Mike? I'm imagining it's Mike Schilt, who loves to listen to our show, and he is out right now on the East Coast, Midwest, East, however you want to. The North Cardinals are getting ready to play. No, yeah, well, yeah, but why wouldn't he? Don't they have a game in 10 minutes? Yeah, but he's probably in the clubhouse right now listening for his last minute, like, Mike Schilt things that he needs to get ready for the broadcast on. Do you guys think that Reyes and Gallegos are going to be available today? They've got an off day tomorrow. I think Mike's asking the question if you're going to put him in or not. Reyes threw 10 pitches last night. Gallegos threw eight. I would imagine both of them could go back out there again today. At least. So here's the way that I would frame it for you, Alex. I would be willing to go back to those two and use Cabrera today because of where the Cardinals are in the standings. And does does that make it difficult because you've used them so much and it makes it likely that they could potentially wear down as the season goes on yes yes it does so mike what do you welcome to your opinion mike thanks thanks what do you think about you know bk giving you his opinion on your job you know what it's not your job bk it's not it's not your job damn it i thought you had the cut i I did too i was waiting for you to throw out i'm I'm setting that one up i'm lobbing that alley-oop to t-bone and he's just (laughs) standing on the side i'm like it's fine what's happening ear comfort service text line for questions and answers uh let's go with this one from the 314 hey guys of all the shortstops and free agency next off season who do you think the cardinals would be most likely to pursue so not which one do you want the most which one would do you think they would be most likely to pursue alex the cheapest one <laughs> Marcus Simeon like that would be the one I think would make the most sense for the Cardinals because I just don't see them spending the money on Corey Seager I want to say Seager would be the most expensive but because of this season's injury I think he won't be I would say Trevor Story will be the most expensive and I don't see the Cardinals going for that I don't know I just don't see the Cardinals going for it to me Trevor Story's Tyler O'Neill. He's had a rough year this year. Uh, it hasn't really been talked about a whole lot. Yeah. He's hitting 240 this year, and his OPS is at 733. Right, because he wants out. Yeah, maybe that has something to do he with hates it. hates it there. I, I don't know. Um, I just I, don't think he's going to be... I think he's more in play than I think a lot of people would expect. He's 29 years old. He's a, he's one of the older ones in this group. I'm going to go off of Jim. Five years, 125? No, no way. For a 29-year-old so. player? I think he's going to get... You, you're, you're telling me that the Yankees aren't going to spend $300 million on that guy if he hits the market? I will be stunned if he gets more than $200 million. I bet he gets close to $300 million. He's going to be the most expensive one on the market this year. And okay. I think right below him will either be Carlos Correa or Corey Seager. And I wouldn't touch Carlos Correa with a 10-foot pole. Oh, I would love to have Carlos mm-hmm. Correa. Between injuries and trash cans, I just don't know about him. Um, I, I might check in on Corey Seager to the point of Jim Bode making yesterday, maybe because you of the injury. You Carlos Correa because of his injuries and you're willing to go in on yeah. Corey Seager? Yeah, that make a whole <laughs> what are you talking sense. about? <laughs> I'm sorry, does Carlos Correa have a World Series MVP behind his name? No. I don't think he has an MVP, but he has a World Series. No, so does Corey Seager. Uh, okay. The, I'd go for Trey Turner. The only one I would keep off my list would be Bias. I would not go after Bias. Agreed. Too much swing and miss. So uh, he's the only one that I wouldn't do. I would, I would check in on all the shortstops. Now... I don't know if they're in the story one. I think it's going to be they're going to go after the guys that have the I injury history. I think Trevor is going to get less money than you guys are expecting. I, whether it be because of the rocket, the Coors effects, teams still, for whatever reason, seem to buy into that a little bit. He's 29 years old. He has not had a good walk year for the Rockies. 
I, I don't know that he's going to get the same amount of money that people are expecting. I, I would take the under on 100, 160. I take the under on 160. No way. $160 million I would take for Trevor the Story. over easily. I don't take think he's over. 300 million. I think he's probably like right about where you set that over under. It's right around the 160. 150 maybe. No 150, Six 160. Six years. 160. 140. No way. Because no I think, well, what would that put a salary at? 20 mil, 25 mil. 20 to 25, yeah. I, I that just, seems about someone's right. Someone's going to overpay for him. I just don't see the Cardinals saying, you know what, we're going to have 60 plus million dollars invested in three guys in the if there's one, It just doesn't feel like the Cardinals. I agree. If there's one shortstop that's going to get overpaid, it's going to be Trevor Story. I mean, he's the one that will be overpaid this offseason. I think he's going to be Seager. I think he ends up staying with the Dodgers and he gets overpaid. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what happens with him, though. When Jim Bowden mentioned his name as a possibility, it's like, wow, I just kind of always assumed he would be back in L.A. Yeah, that was just kind of my assumption because they, he's good. <laughs> Marcus Simeon's an interesting name as well that you brought up, Alex. L.A. seems like a Trevor Story match, though, doesn't it? Like, L.A. seems like they'd let Corey Seager walk and then they'll be like, no, we'll go get Trevor Story. And I just have this weird feeling Carlos Correa stays in Houston, too. Yeah, I, I think we're going to look at this offseason like the the merry-go-round of yeah. the, the shortstops. And I it's going to end up being like the quarterbacks from the NFL last year where we all thought, oh, there's going to be all of this movement. I think Corey... Aaron Rodgers back. I think Correa and... Um, who might... Oh, Baez. I think those two stay where they're at. I think Simeon stays in Toronto, too. Yeah, I could That's see where that. he is, right? Yeah. yeah. He's okay. playing second. That's Oakland. the other thing with him that I wonder yeah. what his future could hold. That, that could be even more reason why he makes sense here in St. Louis, because he's got that versatility on the infield. I think it's got to be Trey Turner, and I know he's not going to be a free agent this year, but it's like, how do you not check in on that after you've traded everybody else away? How do you not call Washington and say, what do you want? I just think it, like the, the asking price for Trey Turner is going to be Liberator, Gorman. I think it's two or three of your top five prospects. I think I'd give up Gorman. Maybe Ferreira. four of your top ten. I think I'd give up Gorman for Trey Turner. Whoa. Would you give up Gorman, Liberator, and Herrera, and a major league piece like maybe Tommy Edmond? Because that's the kind of thing that it's going to take. It's going to take. I, can I ton. put Thompson instead of Liberator and do no. that package? No. After the year he's had, no. Liberator hasn't had that great of a year either. Much better than Thompson. Yeah. Thompson. I, I'm, not, I'm not paying. Double A. I, I would. I don't think I would be willing to pay the cost that it's going to take to get Turner because I don't think they're. If they were willing to resign him, I would. But I don't think they're going to be willing to re-sign him to what it's going to cost. He's the guy that I think could get the $300 million um, because of his age, because he's, of the And value. he's a five-tool guy. He's got some pop. He's got, he's a contact hitter. He's got the speed. He, he's a five-tool guy, so I would agree with that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of More Likely to Happen. But coming up next, Alex Ferrario has been spending the last 24 hours putting together the finishing touches on what I believe will be his greatest Ferrario five of all time. Probably. The five non-tenders who could legitimately push the Blues over the top. He'll tell you them next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Some news to pass along for Major League Baseball. Craig Mish of Sirius XM. He's the ish. <laughs> MLB Network. You he like tweets it? out that the Marlins are close to trading outfielder Starling Marte to the Oakland A's. That's a really good pickup for the A's. I was told he wasn't going anywhere. I was told that he wasn't going to leave the Marlins. Who told well, you that? He, he did. 
he apparently was trying to get a deal done with the Marlins. They were never able to do so. I think the last numbers that I saw reported on that were like three years, $30 million in total for him. Derek Jeter said, get the hell out of here. He decided to turn that down, and now it looks like he's going to be in Oakland A. The A's are six games back of the Astros in their division, so they're trying to go for it right now. They're one game up on the Mariners in the AL wild card. Another piece of news to pass along, if I'm not mistaken, Tanner, I missed the tweet now, but Michael Givens has been officially traded to the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, my guy, Michael Givens. According to reports, he's going to Cincinnati. It looks like there's going to be two pitching prospects in return to Colorado. So that's the latest on the trade deadline front. The Cardinals also announced today that they are going to be uh, celebrating the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals, of course, the World Series champion team. It's going to be the weekend of September 17th through the 19th against the Padres. That's going to be one hell of a weekend of baseball. You get to watch Fernando Tatis Jr. out there while you're celebrating the 2011 team over the weekend. That's going to be a lot of fun. So you can find more information on that. Cardinals.com slash 2011. See Joey Gallo hitting bombs off the Padres. Yeah, that's apparently the Rangers have a massive extension potentially on the table for him. Uh, Cardinals.com slash 2011 is where you can find more information on the weekend for the Cardinals (laughs) reunion. All right. That's all of the baseball updates for you. Let's get into some hockey. Oh, man. You've Alex been Ferrario, for this moment, haven't you, BK? You've been doing so many finishing touches on oh, your yeah. five non-tenders who could push the Blues over the top for oh, your latest. Oh, yeah. Ferrario 5. Hit the open, T-Bone! You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. No randomness on this one, boys. I got five hockey names for you. And BK, Nick Ritchie didn't even make the damn list. <laughs> no, he You've did. You've got to be kidding he me. Did. He did. He's about did. to be so upset. Calm down. So look, uh, full disclosure, one of the guys that I had on my list, number five, who I wiped off of the list, is Jake Vertanen. He was bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. I found out last night that he had a lot of like sexual misconduct things that basically got him bought out. I don't know if he's ever going to play in the NHL again, so I took him off my list. But I, did I think put, that's probably a good I decision. But I did put Ryan Donato at number five. Now, he was with the San Jose Sharks. They bought him out. Now, he was traded from the Minnesota Wild, where in 1920, he had his best season with them. Scored 14 goals, 23 23 total points in 62 games. Six foot, 192 pounds. Might not be the biggest guy, but to me, you could get a 25-year-old, low-cost, high-reward player who could play on your third line. And I like this guy because he's got some nastiness to him. I remember when he played with the Minnesota Wild and when he played with the Boston Bruins, he was a part of the Bruins team uh, back in 1819 before he was traded to the Minnesota Wild. Now, he didn't obviously play in the playoffs with Boston. I like this guy's grit. Matches Craig Bruby style really well. So check out Ryan Donato's numbers if you want to find out more about this guy. Boston, Massachusetts kids. So, hey, we hate Boston. Why not get somebody who hates Boston as well, right? That's yeah, not, that's not how that works. Boston. Well, that's not how it's over. I guess that's not how that works. Okay, number four. I've been asked a lot about this player, James Neal. Now, he was bought out by the Edmonton Oilers, had 10 points in 29 games this past season, didn't play the full season with them, did play in the playoffs. Look, he's old, 33 years old. Oh, but oh. what he is, is he a left yellow. winger? He's six foot three, 212 pounds. And what he is, is he is a. Stanley Cup champion power forward goes to the front of the net. You said the Nick Ritchie's like a Pat Maroon move. Mm-hmm. This would be like a Pat Maroon move as well. Now, I've heard 
that he's not the greatest in the locker rooms at times. Joey's played with him, but Joey said sometimes he's a really fun teammate to be around. But what I do like about this guy is he has had multiple 20-goal seasons. Heck, he scored 40 goals back in 11-12 with Pittsburgh. Yeah, he's been a good player. I like this guy because, like, I'm just thinking in my mind here, you put him on a line with Robert Thomas, who's your third-line center, you got a guy who goes to the front of the net. And what did Robert Thomas miss the most last season in terms of wingers? He didn't have guys who went to the front of the net. I like the idea of a James Neal. Just bought out, paid a lot of money by the Edmonton Oilers. You could probably get him cheap. And he was with that Vegas Golden Knights team when they started, so he's familiar with David Perron. So I check in on this one as well. I guess my question will be, what happened? Because last year he was not good for Edmonton. He did not produce for them at all, and now he ends up getting bought out. So clearly there was something that happened here. Um, I just think Edmonton's going a different direction right now. I mean, they, they need guys who can keep up with Connor McDavid. Good and luck with that. James Neal, yeah, yeah, James Neal can't do that. He was scratched for two of their four playoff games in the spring as well. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know. It, I'm looking at 1922, though, BK. I mean, he had 19 goals and 31 points in 55 games. That's the thing. If he ends up coming cheap, if he's a reasonably priced veteran acquisition that can maybe be third, fourth line he's left like winger for you. like a Corey Perry. Yeah. You know? It makes some sense. Like a Corey Perry. That's what I really like. And frankly, Corey Perry would be interesting. He's a free agent, but I know Montreal wants him back, and that's not a part of the Ferrario 5. Apparently, he had a battle with COVID early in the year. He missed spring tr- or str- uh, training camp as a result and yeah. then missed the first five games of the season. So maybe that's maybe it could be as simple as hey he, he just had a weird year COVID affected and it never really got back on track and you're buying at the lowest possible point for him that's a good name yeah, I like it I, I would definitely urge Doug Armstrong to check in on this one but who do I know I'm not Doug Armstrong I'm not a GM of a hockey team all right your guy Nick Ritchie he made the list he's number three for me BK I, I like a the low, but I like I it. like the idea of him wait do you see the first two I like the idea of this guy six foot two 230 pounds I think he matches well he could play on your third and fourth line he just comes down to cost because I think he's going to want more than what James Neal and Ryan Donato are going to want a little worried about that um there were some rumors last night that apparently there is a lot of interest in Nick Ritchie around the league, which yeah. makes sense. I mean, all of the reasons that I said yesterday as to why he would be a good player for the blues that also exists for other teams around the league as well. Right. So he, he's not a big point producer, but he's a guy that can play on your third line left wing. And he immediately, he fills that we say his name a lot and I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I'm not comparing him directly to what Pat Maroon did, but that style on your third line where it's like almost a fourth line physicality, that's kind of what he could potentially bring. Yeah. So I put in number three on this list and the next two I'm really excited about it. Hopefully that they check in on them. The second one is Evgeny Svechnikov from the Detroit Red Wings. Go another Russian here because I love hearing BK trying to pronounce these names. Go ahead. Say Pavel's name again. Nope. Say it. Nope. Do it. Anyway, Buchnevich. Nope, you just botched it. Way to go, T-Bum. What? It's Buchnevich. Anyway, this this guy, now he's a right winger, but he shoots from the left side. And I think he could play either left or right. This guy has a career 12 points. (laughs) Yeah. uh, No, hold on a minute. He's a 19th overall draft pick. Go check out his numbers when he played in the minors. Okay. Are we doing a Nail Yakupov signing here? Is that what this is, basically? Hey, Nail worked for like five games. No, the only thing I'm about this one is this guy might just need to change the scenery. He wasn't working in Detroit. Steve Eiserman wanted to go a different direction, bought him out. This is another low cost, high reward if he pays off. I mean, he's six foot three, 208 pounds. I'm looking for guys who go to the front of the net. And this was a guy who 
I mean, yeah, he didn't have the greatest year last year, but he did have eight points in 21 games with Detroit. I think this guy could be a third or fourth line winger for you. A cheap player, but somebody who could turn into a first round draft pick potential. I check in on it if I was Doug Armstrong. I would check in on it. There's no way I would have this guy above Nick Ritchie. Oh, yeah, no I totally chance. would. You know why? Would because this guy, guy would probably cost you less than a million dollars. Nick Ritchie's going to cost oh, you probably yeah. $3 million. Better cost you less than a million dollars. I'm not going to pay $3 million for a guy who produces like Zach Sanford produces. What's the point? What's the point to upgrade from Zach Sanford? Well, it's not. It's the same thing. I mean, stylistically, it's no. very different. All right, number Can one. Can I read you this guy's scouting report? Who, Svechnikov or yeah. Richie? Yeah, go for it. Excellent size for the wing position. Soft hands, natural scores, shoots the puck with a plum, and knows where to go in order to sco- score goals. Did you say with a plum? Yeah, a plum. That almost gave me a heartburn. Is that his best when he uses his size effectively? Needs to play a more consistent game in all three zones, though, to maximize his production. Must use size more often. And with greater effectiveness, his long-range potential is a big, talented sniper with upside. I don't know if he sounds like the type of guy that I would be taking a chance on for Craig Berube. Okay, stick with your Nick Ritchie guy. I will. All right, number one on this list, and someone texted yesterday when I teased this, and they must have been reading my mind. Just bought out by the Chicago Blackhawks, Pia Suter. Centerman, shoots from the left side, 5'11", so he's not a power forward. But he had 27 points in 55 games with Chicago. He's a goal scorer. And frankly, a lot of people were surprised that Chicago bought this player out because he's a part of their future if you want to have success. He's probably going to cost a little bit more, but I think there's more upside with this guy than a Nick Ritchie. This one makes a lot of sense He's to me. fast. He's got a hell of a shot, apparently, from some of the scouts talking about him. And I think he matches kind of what the Blues are looking for in the third and fourth line role. You got a lot of big bodies who like to go to the net or that are trying to go to the front of the net. You need guys who can shoot there. And I think he might make some sense for the Blues. Yeah, this one makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I would I definitely agree with the idea of bringing him in as as potentially getting somebody that can help you score. Uh, He would be the guy that replaces some of what Mike Hoffman gave them last mm-hmm. year. Like it, it's almost one to one. Now he's not exactly the same player. Hoffman has done it consistently over years. So you know, he is that type of producer. Suter has done it for one year. So yeah. it, it's different in terms of the consistency, but you would believe that he could do it more. If he, if he continued for it, I and like, what I like, what I like, I like about him too, is he he's played in the central. And I think it's, it's important to get guys who know what the central division takes to be successful. And you were with the Blackhawks. Yeah. So you kind of know what that's like. I just think that's kind of impactful if you get a player like that. So again, would, low cost, high reward. I like that name for you. Um, I like Nick Rishi still the best. Nick Rishi would be my guy. I, of course you do. What do you, what would you be willing to pay for a guy like Nick Ritchie? No more than $2 million. Okay. I'm not going to pay him more than what a Zach Sanford's going to get because he's going to give me Zach Sanford quality. I am curious on the Sanford point. Is Zach Sanford a progress stopper for this team right now? What and what I, what I mean by that is in, in football, you'll have guys that are like super average veteran players that kind of give you what the coach wants, right? They're going to be in the right place at the right time. They might not always make the right decisions, but Sanford, for example, last year averaged a minute 35 on the PK, only Sonny O'Reilly, Barbie and Bozak, four of your most consistently um, responsible forwards. Those were the guys that played more on the PK last year than Sanford. So he is a reliable player for Barubi. He, He believes in him. Is that reliability preventing the blues from making an upgrade at that spot because i know what you're saying about sanford's production 
I, I think Richie's probably a little better player. I think if the Blues added him to that third line and replaced Sanford with Richie, you get better as a result. I don't know if they could trade Sanford for anything or not. I have no idea. But is having him preventing you from making a legit upgrade for a similar price at that third line winger? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I think it does because, I mean, technically you're going to go out and pay the same amount of money for another similar player. The only difference is I'm with you. Nick Ritchie, I think, will produce better than Zach Sanford because he goes to the net. Sanford likes to shoot the puck. When Sanford's on his game, he actually goes to the front of the net. The only thing is Zach Sanford is a bench player. Like, Zach Sanford's peak is third, fourth line, but not every day. It's kind of in and out when he's on his game or the right matchups for the Blues. And I think Nick Ritchie would make a little bit more sense or any of these other guys make more sense because they're more of an everyday type of player that matches the system. But you're right. I think, and the, I'm by the way, I'm just using Nick Ritchie's name as an example. No, like this could apply to any of probably these, 15 different guys right. that are out on the market right now. I, I think, though, that because he's controllable and because the Blues can kind of determine how much money he's going to make, and frankly, arbitration's not going to give him an awful lot either because he has struggled this past year, I, I think that puts the Blues in the situation of, well, we have... There's a logjam of players in the system that make like $2 million next year. Yeah, there's a, lo- there's a logjam of players that match the third and fourth line role, right? Like Sunquist is peak third and fourth line role. So is Ivan Barbashev. You got Robert Thomas. If you, give back, if you bring back Tyler Bozak, he's there. You got Dakota Joshua. You got Kyle Clifford. You got Clem Costin, Austin Pagansky. You have a lot of these guys, so you're not going to go out and sign somebody when you already have another one who's under control for you. Yeah, I just think you're... You're not getting better by just going with some of these guys that we kind of know what they are. Like, if you're going to Kota Joshua, that's different to me. He has upside that is untapped. We don't know what he can be. I feel like we know at this point exactly what Zach Sanford is. Yeah. And I would like to upgrade from that. So I get it. I just wonder if he's in football. We talk about it a lot. Basketball, you get some of this. We don't talk about it as much with hockey. I wonder if there's a little bit of a progress stopper for the Blues with with a veteran who we kind of know what he is right now, and you're you're limiting yourself and what you could do otherwise. It's twelve eighteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up at about fifteen minutes or so, the Cardinals made some interesting statements yesterday and how they're going to use Flaherty and Michaelis moving forward. It suggests that they might need innings quicker than expected. We'll talk about that in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, you give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one's more likely to happen. More likely to happen is next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen, more likely to wear a Cardinals uniform in twenty twenty two, ladies and gentlemen. Max Scherzer or Matt Carpenter? Oh, it'll be Matt Carpenter. You know that because the DH is ever like, oh well, if you look at Matt Carpenter's numbers as DH this season, he was actually pretty bountiful. <laughs> Good left handed bat off the bench. Good left handed bat to have, and he's a good locker room guy. We got to celebrate the things that he's accomplished this season. I did feel like yesterday was one of the first times. I mean, we've talked about this before, but it really set it in stone for me. It was a reminder going to an American League ballpark how thin this lineup is. 
Matt Carpenter started for you as your designated hitter last night. Yeah. Today, he's starting at first base for you while Paul Goldschmidt is your designated hitter. Oh, but T-Bone didn't want to give Albert Pujols one of those respectable roster spots on the 40-man roster. Those what? things are cherished. Remember, T-Bone? It's whether, the right move. It didn't work out. Whether it be Josh Harrison or... I'm not even I'm not responding to that. No, you know what, Ryan? It's not your job. Josh Harrison, Jonathan Scope, somebody Scoopsy like that. Potatoes. This team needs to go out and acquire somebody that's super reasonably priced, both in terms of the prospect haul that they will get in return and the price, like money-wise, that you're going to be paying. They really could use somebody to be able to help this bench a little bit. To answer the question, though, Max Scherzer's not going to be here because it does sound like he's going to the NL West, and after talking with Grant Paulson in the last segment, or in the last hour, He's going to stay with the team he's going to. And I don't blame him. I mean, if you get traded when you're 40 years old, you're not going to want to start moving around at that time. written all over it, man. It's, I also think it's got Padres written on it too, man. Like, I just think if you're if you're Max Scherzer and you go to San Diego where you're covered by that rotation with those guys. We're Giants. Yeah. I I guess the Giants just doesn't sense. make as much sense to me, though, because, like, the Giants don't scream World Series contender like the others two do. They do They've with Scherzer. Him. Yeah, with Scherzer, mm-hmm. they might. Well, him I and Gosman at the top of that rotation, that's really and, and impressive. Look, any don't team forget Desclafani. Desclafani. Don't any, forget him. He's got 10 wins, and he's got pretty good numbers. Look, any team that gets beaten twice in a series against the Cardinals doesn't scream World Series contender to me. Three and what? 37, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I'll say Matt Carpenter because I could see them bringing him back as a bench bat slash locker room guy slash DH. Slash the... Money can make off of your slash like that says it's about for the Cardinals harvest. this season. Maybe give him one farewell tour. I, I'm with you. I think it's more likely they bring back Carp just because wherever Scherzer goes, he probably wants to stay because they're going to be contending. Cardinals. And even though I still don't think Carp's back next year, he's probably more likely. BFIB will burn if that happens. Yeah, I think it's more likely yeah. that Carpenter back is That's back, but I think it's like two percent versus five percent chance. Yeah. I don't think either of these are likely. Yeah. Six five uh, seven eight zero. Oh, is he on the fence? It, no, I'm not sitting on the. I, I said I know. Come on. 65780 is the air comfort service sex line from the 636. More likely that the Blues sign Brandon Sod in free agency or the Cardinals make a trade for a mid-level starter this week. Blues sign Sod, Cardinals make a trade. You know, I'm going to surprise people here. I'm going to say Cardinals make a trade. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to sign Brandon Sod. I mean, I know that there's interest there. I'm a little... I'm a little confused as to why we haven't heard his name a lot in the rumors today. Like I haven't seen any national outlet report about Brandon Saad conversations other than Jr., who spoke a minute ago uh, on social media saying like there still is mutual interest. I think he's going to get too much and I don't think Doug's going to pay that and jeopardize your opportunity to upgrade in the future with trades. Um, And honestly, I could see Mo making a move for a good pitcher. I mean, we heard Jim Hayes report yesterday that, Mo has said like they're looking for somebody who can get them deeper into games. I don't know if it's a number three starter or if it's just a really good bullpen arm, but I'm going to go with the Cardinals making a move before the blues with sod. I'll admit I'm sitting on the fence on this one. Your daily hit. I'm sitting on the fence. I, I think it's more likely the blues will go sign Brandon sod. I just don't think the Cardinals are going to do anything. They may make a move, but I don't even know if it's a mid tier pitcher. It's probably kind of like what we've seen. Hey, look who we got. This guy was going to be DFA a couple days ago, but Hey, look, there's our trade deadline acquisition. It's I'll great. take it. So I don't think they do a mid-tier deal. I, I think the Blues are more likely to sign Brandon Saad. I'll talk a little bit more about this coming up here at about five, 10 minutes or so. Deep tease about the Cardinals rotation specifically is what we'll talk about. I think it's more likely Brandon Saad ends up on the Blues. I'm not feeling great about that right now. I wonder 
Does Army need to know today if Matthew Kachuk's available? No. no. If you if you don't know though, here here's my concern for the Blues. If you don't know one way or other today on Matthew Kachuk and you wait it out and you miss out on Brandon Saad, you miss out on all these left-wing options in the next couple of days and you're left with nothing. Now you're not, what? You're not left with nothing though. Like that's where I that's where I push back by Blues fans and saying you're not left with nothing. What do you mean? Over the next, if you don't find out something in the next few days, you still have options that can play that second line left wing for you. I mean, are they Ooh. great options? No, but they're still options. Guys like Oscar Sundquist, if healthy, can be a second line winger. Ivan Barbashev can be a second line winger for you. Heck, you might put Robert Thomas on the left That's wing. That's not a championship team, though. But right? maybe, but maybe you're. Did we just hear Grant Paulson talk about maybe you got to take a step back to, te- to take a step forward? Would you rather have Brandon Saad and overpay for a guy who might be giving you 20 goals? Or No, but what I'm saying is this is why I think he needs to know soon on the Kachuk thing. He needs to know what Calgary's plan is so that way they, the Blues can formulate theirs. Otherwise, you risk the possibility of what you're saying right now but where you're left without one of these guys, even if it's not Brandon Saad. Forget, forget that name for a second. Insert legit middle six left winger here you're you're left without that option but things and can, now you have only internal options and zach sanford's playing top six again. no he won't be up there i mean you gotta get better guys than zach sanford but things change really quick in the nhl like the first month of the season you could think you're a cup contender with your roster and then the next month you're oh and seven and calgary says okay we need to move this guy and do something and remember if you don't trade vladimir tarasenko is not just going to be traded for anything otherwise he would have been traded by now he's going to get something in return whether that be now or at the beginning of the season or the middle of the season. If Tarasenko comes back, and I know we don't think it's going to be successful, but if he wants to be traded, he has to play well or sit out and not get paid. So you still do have Tarasenko who might play well and then get a bigger return. So maybe I that's just, your ace in the hole. I just don't think you can look at it if you miss out on Saad and you don't sign one of these free agents and you don't acquire Matthew Kachuk or Jack Eichel and say, oh, well, they're they're horrible. They're going to rebuild. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying. Like, no, I'm just saying Blues fans look at it that way of like, oh, well. I think well, there's a middle ground here. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think there's a middle ground where you can say they're probably a playoff team, maybe even constructed. But. Are they legitimately competing for a title? Are they in that championship window that they've talked so much about? If you don't go out and sign Sod or somebody similar, and you don't trade for Chuck or somebody similar, you definitely then take, no. Yeah, you're you not in that championship a- window. It ended last year. You could start a new one next year, maybe. Mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of how I would view that. I- I'm with you there. I think if you don't do that, then you are basically saying, "Hey, we're going to compete with the roster that we have." Are we a cup contender? No, but we're going to compete. We're going to make things difficult and we're going to wait until we get that piece because that piece can make us a cup contender. Last one here, more likely to happen from the two one seven Harrison Bader or Dylan Carlson are an all-star in 2022. Which one's more likely to make an all-star game next year? It's an interesting question. I'll say Bader. And the reason I say that is because he's got more experience now. Granted, I don't know if he's going to keep up what he's doing now, of course, but that's pretty high ceiling. But if he can be about 270, 280, he plays great defense. I think he's a guy that could win over the fan base. They could vote him into an all-star game. Carlson could do that too, but he's only going to be heading into his second year. This is going to be Bader's sixth year, I believe, fifth or sixth. So he's got more experience. That's why I'm going to take him to be the all-star next year. I'm going to go Carlson. I just don't know if Bader 
as all-star stuff. And, and look, I, I love... He's got all-star hair. He does have all-star hair. He's got all-star moves in the outfield as well. But I just don't know if that bat gets him to the all-star game. Dylan Carlson's bat, I think, can get him to the all-star game. So I'll say Dylan. I think Dylan Carlson is who I would go with as well. I just don't think that defense plays for something like this. Yeah. When was Bader, the last time a defender got into an all-star game? You know, It's pretty rare, especially in the outfield. You might see it for a shortstop who's just making dazzling plays left and right, maybe. Mm-hmm. But in the outfields, when you have so many great hitters that are out there right now and young superstars that play in the National League in the outfields, it's hard to hard for Bader to be able to break through that group. So if Dylan Carlson next year has like 15 home runs and 40 RBI in his first half of the season, that's how he ends up getting in. And I think that that is much more likely than Bader going on a tear the way that we've seen. I know for the last month or so, but this is. I think this is going to be seen as the outlier eventually. And it evens, it always evens itself yeah. out. And I think when things even themselves out, Carlson's numbers are more all-star than Bader's numbers. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The juncture is coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I want to pass along a little bit of news from Kevin Weeks. Brennan Son? He says that signs are pointing to the Seattle crack and making some traction with Grubauer. <sighs> if the avalanche end up kind of without a goalie here, I really wonder if do, do you think Mark Andre Fleury would play for Colorado? No, it's it's just Pittsburgh or Vegas. I don't even know if it's Pittsburgh. I think it's Vegas or nothing. Wow. Which part of me wants Colorado do in that? Well, and I've seen them say that they'll look into the trade market. I don't know who's out there in terms of trading. Now they do have a, another goalie who's decent, Pavel Francois, who was hurt this past season. He can be a number one. He's not going to be a Philip Grubauer number one, but this is what I'm talking about. This is what I told you earlier. I don't think I would have done this if I was Joe Sackick. I would have locked up Grubauer and then addressed the scenario with Gabriel Landeskog. You can fill Landeskog's shoes. I don't know if you can fill Grubauer's shoes. Man, I I just made an assumption that they would find a way to make it work. Me too. Losing out on your call. I don't understand this sport. I really don't, Alex. They tell us every March, hey, all that matters from here till the end of the year is your goalie. And then every offseason, they're like, ah, we'll figure it out in net. <laughs> what? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, we'll, win. we'll win by committee in net. Well, you can't put two guys in net at the same time. That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, if Marc-Andre Fleury would be willing to play for Colorado, though, if he just wants suck. to play for a contender, that that's, that's when this starts to make a lot more sense. That's my tinfoil theory here. Although Colorado's defense isn't that great either. They lost Ryan Graves. I mean, they're getting Eric Johnson back. I mean, they signed Kale McCart. They don't have a lot of big guys on D rather than a bunch of smaller guys on D. Coming up next, the Cardinals gave a little bit of insight into what their plan is with Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis. What does that mean for their deadline plans? I think it should mean a little something. We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. No, I think like the, the, the answer we've been telling teams is we're looking for innings. Um, you know, anything we can upgrade to take us deeper into a game. Um, you know, you look at our everyday club and there's just not a lot of places where you can just sort of insert someone and say that that's a better move. Now, there, there's also sort of that short short view versus long view. And if there was a way that we could help position our, our organization that, that allows us to avoid going to a different market this offseason, that would interest us too. But that's going to be very difficult to do. 
That was John Mosaylock in the Bally Sports Midwest pregame show yesterday talking about what the Cardinals could be looking for at the trade deadline as we are now about 48 hours away from this year's deadline. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I think that quote is in relation to another conversation that Mike Schilt had with reporters yesterday. He said that the Cardinals are expecting at the earliest for Miles Michaelis and Jack Flaherty to be back in mid-August at the earliest. That's still about two and a half weeks away. That means September. That seems to signify that this team is not going to go the piggyback route because if you're doing that, you could have them back up with the big leagues probably as early as next week because both of them right now are already stretched out to about 45 pitches. So you could 90 pitches over the game, piggyback, that could work right now next week. They're not going to do that, it doesn't sound like. So instead, I think if they believe they can contend, Alex, that's where you get the quote from John Mosellock where he says, yeah, we're looking for innings because this rotation has been great over the last three weeks or so. And that's not an overstatement. They have an ERA under three. But I don't know if it's sustainable. In fact, I would say that it's probably not sustainable with the guys that you have in there right now. You're going to have to go make a move for a number three, number four type of a starter who can give you some more of those innings. Yeah, I mean, look, Wade LeBlanc, as great as it has been, it's the John Gant experiment, 2.0, right? Like sooner or later, he's going to explode and you got to move it to the bullpen where he can be effective or off of your roster. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johan Oviedo, still struggles. So he's been sent down to Memphis. And I think that's where he really needs to stay. So right now you got flair or you'll have Wayno and KK. And I mean, frankly, that's it right now that you feel comfortable with. Now I, I, I appreciate the fact that they don't want to do the piggyback because frankly, I think if the Cardinals want to be contenders, they got to have Flaherty and Michael as individually rather than both of them, because then we're talking about going out there and acquiring another pitcher. So, yeah, you need a middle-of-the-pack guy who can give you six innings of work. I mean, we've established that your bullpen can hold down a lead occasionally. Sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. You need somebody who can do what Adam Wainwright did and just give your bullpen a night off. But you also need your offense to step up. So, yeah, I mean, this makes the most sense here because, frankly, the options that you have are dwindling in terms of guys who can really get you to a playoff scenario. Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. Go get that middle-tier guy. The problem is is that this market, with the pitching that there is, the middle-tier guy isn't going to cost the middle-tier prospect. It's probably going to be a little bit more pricey just because of the way the market is. Uh, We've seen a couple deals, like Tyler Anderson, who got traded to Seattle yesterday, wasn't over wasn't like an overhaul of a prospect so that kind of deal maybe the Cardinals could make who they look at I'm not 100% sure yet I don't think they're going to be in on the John Gray sweepstakes they're not going to be in on the Gibson guys but the middle tier guy I think is the number one move for the Cardinals but even then I'm still not convinced they're going to make the move yeah I'm with you um I it doesn't feel like they will but it feels like they need to and that's a weird place to be as a Cardinals fan where you're like I I think that they're kind of getting things back on track I believe that the roster talent is there but are they willing to go make the move that they need to make? I don't know. Uh, John Mosellock was asked that about the chances of the Cardinals actually getting something done. Here's what he had to say. Well, as you know, regardless of whatever I say to this answer, I'm probably going to get in trouble. So <laughs> the easiest way to think about it is, is, you know, when you look at our club, there are some things that we'd like to see, try to do. But, you know, I, I also feel like there's a lot of teams competing in this market. And so the way I'm sort of like sort of thinking through this with my team is, is we're, we're, we're trying to be patient, but let teams know that we're interested in some of the players that they have available. 
That's really all you can do right now if you're John Mosaylock. Okay, listen, we're in a good spot. Our team's playing a lot better. We feel better about where we are. But are the prices going to come down to where we're comfortable paying that? For example, you mentioned the Starling Marte price, Tanner. That's way too much for the Cardinals to be giving up for the pitching version of Starling Marte. The A's gave up a former top 10 prospect in the sport. That would be like the Cardinals sending Alex Reyes to... Um, whether it be for Max Scherzer or Jose Barrios, who are, they're not doing that. They're not giving up Nolan Gorman or something of the equivalent. So if that's the pr- price for some of these top-end pitchers that are available, yeah, the Cardinals aren't going to be in on that market. But is there the second and third tier pitching market that might be available that could be of interest to the Cardinals? That's where I think they could potentially be shopping. Yeah, and you just look at the teams that are out of it that you're going to be having conversations with. I mean, we joke all the time, but I mean, I think you seriously do talk to the Baltimore Orioles and find out what the price is because nobody's going to give you an overwhelming amount of prospects for a mid-tier pitcher on the Baltimore Orioles. I think you're calling the Minnesota Twins to find out. Other than Barrios, what are you looking at? Michael Pineda. Is that an overwhelming cost that you're going to be talking about? Heck, the Cleveland Indians, I think you might even be talking about after the series. Now, I know that they're nine and a half games out, and like you're not getting Shane Bieber, but maybe the guy who pitched last night, or maybe the guy who's pitching today, Zach Plezak. So, I mean, you're calling these teams to find out, and I think it comes down to what happens after the dust is settled like Scherzer's the do- first domino to drop and when that drops then you're going to start to see the other guys fall off what does that dust look like for John Mosellock he, he this this trade deadline strikes me as laying in the weeds I agree with that laying in the weeds but I kind of think the Cardinals are going to have to pounce on these mid-tier guys before Scherzer gets dealt and the reason I say that is I'm not convinced that the twins are going to get what they want for Barrios and Gibson the Rangers may not get what, because apparently they have a high asking price on him, too. Maybe they're not going to get what they want for Gibson either on a guy that has control. Same with Barrios. So what's going to happen is the moment that Scherzer domino falls, those teams are going to visit with Minnesota. They're going to visit with Texas. If you can't pull the all off with them, then they're going to come right into this middle-tier pitching market, which the Cardinals are in. That's why I think the Cardinals kind of need to pounce on this a little bit early. So now they're talking with these teams, and they're the only ones kind of involved. The moment that Scherzer domino falls... The losers are going to start diving into this market, too, and start with this bidding war with the Cardinals. There's no reason to call people losers, T-Bone. Jesus. Did Tan- I call somebody a loser? Tanner, Tanner mentioned this name a few weeks ago, and we all scoffed at it at the time Shocker. because we were hoping for something a little better. Jordan Lyles is kind of the type Ugh. of pitcher that we're we're mentioning here. Don't even make a trade yeah, then. Is. Don't even make the trade then. He's not very good. But he gives you innings in his, in, his last, in his last four starts. He's gone six innings, six innings, four. That was a rough one. But it was against Toronto Blue Jays, good offense, and then seven innings. He gave up two, two, six, and four runs in those games. It's not perfect. It's not great. I wouldn't even say it's good. I wouldn't even say it's okay. But it at least gives you a chance. That's better than some of the outings that the Cardinals have been getting from their lesser starters that are going three innings consistently, four innings consistently. They just got to be able to get through innings so that way your bullpen's not shot the next day when you do have a chance to win. And now you don't really have any good options in your bullpen to go to. So whether it's Jordan Lyles or somebody like that, maybe there's a better version of that that's out there available that's the kind of thing that they should probably be looking for right about There now. always seems to be a guy that nobody talked about that gets moved. Exactly. You know, like there's always a name that comes up and like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And frankly, that's John Mosellock's MO, pun intended. Like that's what he does. He finds the guys that aren't discussed, but he knows that they can be effective for the Cardinals. But again, 
that quote to me sounds like a guy who is playing it safe. And if the trade deadline comes and goes in three days and they don't get anything done, then he can fall back on, look, we tried. It doesn't sound like a GM or a president of baseball operations who's saying, no, we're going to be aggressive. And I think that's what it's always been. How would you guys feel about Mike Miner? Better than Jordan Lyles. He's got a 5-3 ERA this year, which is not good. But his defense hasn't been good for him. If you look at the expected numbers, it's around a 4-3. He's with KC, right? He's a royal, so I mean, can you blame him? Exactly. His team stinks. It's (laughs) terrible. He's throwing 118 innings this year, which is pretty similar to that Adam Wainwright type of a range. Not great. Let's not forget, he was an all-star two years ago. Yeah, he was good for He had the kind of year for the Rangers that we're seeing this year from Kyle Gibson. Uh, Mike Miner is under contract next year for $10 million, a little more than I would want to pay for him, but he is under contract for another season and he's got a club option the year after that. If you really want it, honestly, Cardinals aren't picking that. I was going to say, but. I'd say no, because I don't want that kind of commitment for a guy who's not going to be in my rotation. I want money off the book so I can be aggressive in the offseason. So I'd say no to that. These are the types of names, whether you like Miner, you like Lyles or you don't. And I get either side of those. Those are probably the kinds of players that they're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. Would be my guess. Guys that have one, maybe two years of control and have an ERA around five, but they can get you through innings. It's not sexy, <laughs> but can that buy you two, three weeks until you're able to get Adam, or excuse me, Miles Michaelis and Jack Flaherty back? Yeah. That's the kind of thing that you need in this rotation right now, and hopefully that'll keep Johan Oviedo down at AAA, where he probably should be right now. So that way, maybe he can help you a little more in 2022. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 15 minutes or so, I want to ask Alex Ferrario a very simple question. What is the most you would be willing to spend on Matthew Kachuk this offseason? We'll get to that in 15 minutes. The junk drawer is coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer coming up in 10 minutes or so. I'm going to ask Alex Ferrario what's the most he'd be willing to trade for Matthew Kachuk. I'm going to guess it's a pretty high price. We'll talk about that in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, time for the junk drawer. So we talked a couple of weeks ago about a divorce story. Of course, at the time, it was Ben Zobrist and his then wife, Juliana, who are getting divorced now. Some interesting details of that one. I've got another one for you guys. This is not sports related, but a doctor, his name's Dr. Kim, in the Manhattan, New York area. Is that his area. first name, doctor? And it would no. make sense that he became a doctor then. In the New York area is settling his divorce with a woman by the name of Regina Turner. Now, Dr. Kim is a millionaire. He lives in a $700,000-ish dollar house. Beautiful home. His wife is also wealthy in her own right, Regina. Now, unfortunately, the doctor did not know how Regina came into her money, apparently. So they're happily married, and he finds a note on her her phone. And it is with some uh, very interesting details of a sexual encounter that she had with another man. Uh Uh-oh. He starts investigating a little bit more. Smart. He finds out she makes roughly $700,000 a year as a high-dollar escort. His wife is now going to be his ex-wife as a result. 
Can you imagine if you were a wealthy man? Alex, you live in a million dollar home here in St. Louis. No, I don't. Forest Park area. You're a successful lawyer. You've got a beautiful wife who you and her are trying to start a wonderful family together. And you find out one day, completely unbeknownst to you, that all this time, she's been a high dollar escort. And that's how she's coming into her money. We wouldn't be married anymore. I can't imagine. There had to have been some signs over the years that he well, missed. Like, usually, how do you if not they have notice. Usually, if they have a burner phone that you're not allowed to look at, that's kind of a telling sign. Six years of marriage, and he never knew. That must be, never knew. That must have been a very like distant marriage where you didn't spend a lot of time together. You were just married. Because there's no way you go that long without knowing. Nobody can hide being an escort for that long. For six years? Nobody can. There's no way. I mean, maybe, I don't know what she's charging for each night out. Maybe it's like 75 grand per night and she only goes out like 10 times a year. I don't know. But that seems like something that you'd have to do more often, I'm guessing. To be able to make that kind of money, I can't imagine. Look, I said yesterday that I would like Billy to be my companion for my wife to make five grand to be the companion online. That's not an escort. That's online. Once <laughs> yeah, you get to escort services, I'm out on that one. I'm That's, not sharing my wife. Yeah, I'm not sharing <laughs> I'm not my wife that. in any capacity, so I am out on that. I find that out, yep, you're gone. Alex, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, my so, man? So, speaking of marriages, I got a great proposition for you, BK. When you guys go on your honeymoon, you and Kara, once you're married in December. Yeah, guys, Kana. If you guys have ever been, please send us all of your recommendations. Can I, can I give you a suggestion? Please. You and Kara wear pineapple swimsuits what? for swingers. That's right. Did you see this story? No, but I just know what I pineapple didn't know signify. that was a thing. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. I found that out today. Apparently, there was a couple on vacation that they had matching swimsuits. If you ever see somebody that has a house with a pineapple outside, either they're like Alex and they don't know what that means, or there's something interesting going on inside of that home. I mean, that's, hey, I'm not here to judge. Well, and like, I you found do your out, thing. Like, you can't go to the like if you put a grocery store, if you put a pineapple in your cart. Apparently, certain grocery stores that means you're ready to swing. You're here to pick up. Well, I love silly. myself some pineapple. Yeah, that's. I silly. guess I can't put it my card anymore but i was just trying to get you and kara a great honeymoon so just wear pineapple outfits on the beach and maybe you'll get lucky i don't know how that has anything to do with i don't even know what's happening right now so trying to get bk and kara to swing on their honeymoon with pineapple outfits uh, no. Why? <laughs> Absolutely not. Why? I thought you were going to come in here with like great ideas of what I can do in Punta Cana i just maybe gave a you a phenomenal idea we could go to just gave you a phenomenal idea Wear pineapple clothing. What's the story, though? That this couple didn't know that they were picking up swingers on the beach. This couple on the beach were like, why are these people being so nice to us? <laughs> and they to found out that they were all trying to get with them because it must have been like a swinger hotel and they were all wearing pineapple clothing. That's tremendous. You know what's weird, too? We were all, Katie and I were on vacation up in Michigan a couple weeks ago, and there were a pair of swim trunks at the store that were pineapple swim trunks. And I told Katie, I mean, man, I love those. Say we should get those. Now I regret that decision, and I'm never going to wear those swim trunks. You got them? Uh, Yeah. Good for you, man. I'm never going to wear them, though. I would recommend wearing those to uh, a beach resort 
or at the Lake of the Ozarks. I feel like those no. are the two places where you could nope. actually. Like, I you're am, not going to go to the community pool and that's going to signify something. I will wear it at my pool. I would hope not. To where least. nobody can see me in that one. But no, I am not about that swinger's life. It just says 314. Same with ankle bracelets. Are ankle bracelets like signified for swinging as well? I feel like ankle Mike bracelets. Mike you seem like you know what you're talking about with that. Do you know what ankle bracelets mean? I feel like ankle bracelets aren't really a thing as much anymore. Well, you, wear Maybe your ankle, you wear your ankle bracelets all the time. Okay, well, yeah, but I don't have any fashion. Well, that's um, true. I feel like those were kind of in 10 years ago. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Maybe 20 years ago, honestly. It's been a while. Yikes. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll tell you the details on Philip Grubauer's official deal with Seattle. He has signed with Seattle. We'll give you the numbers on that coming up here in just a minute. And Matthew Kachuk, what would you be willing to trade for him where you get to that puke point, but you're still willing to say yes? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. If Calgary, the Calgary Flames tomorrow hit unrestricted free agency and they haven't re-upped some of their guys or they don't jump in the pool as far as signing other players that are, you know, cost them some money. They're telling the league what their plans are for Matthew Kachuk. That's what it sounded like yesterday when Jamie Rivers was talking about what Calgary is going to do in free agency and how that will describe their plans for Matthew Kachuk for all of us to see. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley, we'll get, Matt, get back into the Matthew Kachuk situation here in just a moment. But the rest of the division is going wild right now. We've talked Buck already wild. about what's happening with Chicago. They look like they're going to be a little better this year than we expected. another defenseman, too, and Jake McCabe, who's a top four defenseman. So they're going to be competitive this year at the yeah. very least. I don't know if they're – it's not like championship level, but they're going to be competitive. Yeah. Colorado re-signed Gabriel Landeskog to a big-time deal, eight years, $7 million per season. And the question you had about that was, what does that mean for Philip Grubauer? And – my response was, well, they'll figure it out. They're going to find a way. Well, Philip Grubauer, the details are officially out. He has signed with the Seattle Kraken. It is a six-year deal worth $5.9 million per year. So basically, he got the Jordan Bennington deal, but a little bit less. Yeah. So Philip Grubauer did not get paid to a crazy degree by Seattle. This is pretty much what we were expecting. I'm frankly stunned that Colorado didn't bring him back at this term and this price. I am too. Uh, I just don't understand it. And look, it's hard for me to, to question Joe Sackick because he has put together an incredible team. But you just signed a power forward who has been with you for a long time. He's been your captain, which is a good signing. But you prioritized a forward who you already have two of the best forwards in the league in Rantanen and McKinnon over one of the best goaltenders who was a Vezina finalist this year, who was the reason that you were one of the best teams in the National Hockey League, nay, the best team in the National Hockey League, and you didn't sign him for less than what you signed Gabriel Landeskog for, I just don't understand it. Maybe they have something in the works because I've seen Darcy Kemper's name out there connected with the Arizona Coyotes who they could trade for. Um, they do have Pavel Francois, who I mentioned to you is a legit guy. If he can stay healthy, he just hasn't been healthy. Kevin Weeks just tweeted out, it seems like all signs point to a potential Kemper trade to uh, to the Avalanche. And that's a good trade, but again, Darcy Kemper's not a number one goaltender, in my opinion. He was good for the Arizona Coyotes, but look where the Arizona Coyotes got last year. Nowhere. I just don't understand it. I think it's a mistake, 
but it's hard for me to discount what Joe Sackick has done with their team. I think the team we do need to be talking about the OBK is the Seattle Kraken because not only did they just sign a really good goaltender in Philip Grubauer to a team-friendly deal, they also just signed Jaden Schwartz. Five years, 5.5 mil. Um, I know some people will probably see them and be like, oh man, if I were the Blues, I probably would have done that. I think it's smart for the Blues not to get in on that because five years at five and a half, I think that handcuffs the Blues. Another move that was just made as well, and speaking of left wingers. Kachuk to the Blues. Come on, buddy. Nope. Philip Deneau uh, is officially signing with the uh, L.A. Kings. They gave him six years, and I don't see the the money here, Alex. Five and a half mil they gave him. Five and a half million dollars per year at six years. He's 28 years old next season. He has never scored more than 13 goals in any season. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, he's a good defensive player. He's going to help them. He that, that That's a good deal for him. I am, for the Kings, though. I am Woof. fascinated to see what Brandon Saad is going to get in this market. Well, And look, the Kings were tied to Brandon Saad. They, I mean, I believe it was Elliot Friedman who put it out last night, some quickies before the, trade, or the free agency opened, and he said... It was St. Louis, the Kings, and I was it the Islanders? Islanders, I think, were another one. Which I think is important here because... If Sod's going to get six by six. Oh, yeah. If the Kings just signed that, that means they couldn't afford Sod, or Sod's already decided where he's going to go, and he's not going to go to the Kings. So if it is St. Louis or the Islanders, it's going to be more than what Deneau just made, and I don't think St. Louis needs to be jumping in on that. But I really hope it's not the Islanders, BK, because if the Islanders strike out on him they might be desperate for Vladimir Tarasenko because they didn't get Landeskog, who was their number one priority. They didn't get Schwartz, who was conversations were being had with Lou Lamarillo. They need a, they need a top scorer. So maybe they get desperate for Vladdy if they don't get sod. All of these prices are making me think the best and maybe only option for the Blues as a legit number two, number one left winger for them is Matthew Kachuk. If he's yeah. not available... I don't know that I would want to be doing a six-year, $6 million deal for Brandon Saad. I think the next best option is whoever you can get as a left winger for Vladimir Tarasenko in that one turn, of these, return. These buyouts, too, though. You know, Yeah, I don't know that those guys really scream top six forward, though. They don't, but are, are, they may just be a placeholder top six until you can find a trade for with Tarasenko or for Kachuk. So, Matthew Kachuk, let's get back into this conversation because that's kind of the pivot off of Brandon Saad. And it's crazy that that's the case, but Matthew Kachuk makes $7 million this year. Brandon Saad probably going to end up, my guess would be, he's going to end up making around six, depending on the term. What would you be willing to give up for? Because Jamie Rivers talked about this yesterday. We'll play this clip and I want to hear from you. He'd be willing to give up basically anything other than Ryan O'Reilly. I'm almost willing to part with anything on my roster to get him. Honestly, think of the point totals that he's had, his age, and everything that he brings to the table. Ryan O'Reilly would probably be your only guy that you deem untouchable at that point. What all are you willing to give up? I think Ryan O'Reilly, definitely. I'm not touching him. Um, I think I would add Colton Pareko's name into this. And frankly, Justin Falk. Because in my opinion, if you trade one of those guys for Matthew Kachuk, you're better offensively, but are you better defensively? And I know Pareko and Falk are no elite number one defensemen, but they are your best defensemen. Who's replacing those two guys for you? There's nobody on the market that you can sign. I don't think Nico Mikola or Scott Perunovic are going to make you better defensively without those two. So I'd have three guys that I'd say, yeah, they're untouchable. And it's Colton Pareko, it's Justin Falk, and Ryan O'Reilly. After that, I'm open for business. If you want to talk Pavel Buchnevich, by all means, let's talk. If you want to talk... 
Jordan Cairo, let's talk. It's going to sting, but I think you're a better team with Matthew Kachuk than Jordan Cairo. And honestly, if you're going to talk a package with maybe Thomas and Cairo, I really think I'm listening to that because Kachuk is a much better player. I don't know if this is the case, but I wonder if something with Tarasenko, Thomas, Perunovic, and a first-round pick would get it done. That's a lot. You're giving up basically your top prospects right now in Perunovic. You're giving up a first-round pick next year, but you hope that that pick, if you're trading for Matthew Kachuk, is in the 20s at at the least because you'll be making the playoffs this year and hopefully going on a little bit of a run. It hurts to give up Robert Thomas, but right now... He's probably your third line center in a best case scenario because you want Brandon or uh, Braden Shin to be back at the center position. Those hurt. It, it, it's going to hurt to get a guy like this, but I wonder if that would be enough. Do you think that would be kind of the start at least of what a deal could look like? Yeah, I think it starts with either Thomas or Cairo. And I yeah. think Perunovic's name is involved with that. Frankly, it could be a Nico Mikola's name. It was done. The, the report from JR about a month ago now was that um, the, the, the makings of a deal like this would be, I think it was Tarasenko, Thomas, Dunn, and a first-round pick or something like that would be yeah. kind of the makings. But Dunn is no longer it, obviously an option. Yeah, and look, I, I it starts with what their necessities are. And frankly, their necessities are a scoring winger or scoring forward who's controllable and cheap, and that's going to be Robert Thomas. Now, they have two good centermen under contract in Sean Monahan and Michael or Mikhail Backlund, like two guys who are very good, but Mikhail Backlund could be a third-line center for you, and Robert Thomas jumps in there. Defensively, I mean, they have three guys that are tied up for less than $5 million. There's one lefty and two righties. You don't have a lot of scoring defensemen as you do kind of big defensemen, so I think it does come down to a Scott Perunovich there. Frankly, they need goaltending help in the minors, so maybe you're looking at a Colton Ellis or a Joel Hoffer as well, and then you're going to a first-round pick. But it, it's going to start with Robert Thomas, and then you're going to build out from there. Would you or do Kyrou. it? One of the two. I, frankly, it could be Kyrou, because if you're giving up a scoring winger, you might want a scoring winger in return. Would you do it? Yeah, in a heartbeat. I think I would, too. Yeah. I'm amazed I, at the amount of people texting in, BK, that are saying you're not getting rid of Thomas. Like, I get it. Thomas could turn in to be a number one center. Matthew Kachuk is one of the best power forwards in the National Hockey League, and he is 23 years old. Let me repeat that, 23 years old. We're talking about Pavel Buchnevich, who's just hitting his prime at 26. You're getting a guy who's three years before his prime, and he's already been close to the 80-point mark in a season. I'm pulling the deal. Shin, Buch, Kairou as your second line. With Kachuk, Ryan O'Reilly, and Perron as your top line. Show That's me, a top six that can win a title. Show me a better team. Show that, me a better team in the Central. We'll see. <laughs> Colorado is up in the air right now. We'll see what happens with them. That's but what I'm saying. It, that's a top six that can win a title for you. So if that means getting rid of a third-line center, which right now is what Thomas probably would be for the Blues... It's a deal I think you have to make. I'm sorry. I, from the 314, if Thomas reaches potential, it won't be what Kachuk is. I mean, are you insane? No, they're, they're saying they agree with you. If Thomas, even if Thomas reaches his oh, potential, sorry, I read Kachuk that wrong. is still a better player. I read that wrong. I thought they were saying Thomas would be better if he hits his potential. Okay, I apologize. You're yeah. not insane. No, it, it makes sense. I, I agree with that. Even if Thomas reaches his potential, let's read it a different way, Alex. Let's get excited about this. Even if he reaches chest. his potential, he's still not going to be what Matthew Kachuk is. Exactly. Yep. Matthew Kachuk today is an all-star caliber type of a player. And you're getting that guy for the prime of his career. He's going to get better from where he is right now. So if you can sign that guy today, 
and you get him through his age, like 30 season at a minimum. Yeah, that's what you're building around. Now you've started your new core. Maybe it's not even the thing about a move like this, Alex, is it it might not extend your current window. It might start a new one. And that's what's so special about it. You might be able to compete this year. And also, if you play your cards right over the next couple of years, now you expand that window to start a new three or four year run yep. that you could have. So that's that's the kind of move that makes that possible. By the way, Dom from The Athletic just put his kind of projections out with Jaden Schwartz. And honestly, I think he's spot on here. And the Blues missed, a bu- or missed out. They dodged a bullet with this one. I mean, they're projecting him this season to be a top six forward, top six next year, but then top nine in year three, top nine in year four, a bottom line forward in year five. And their comps are are, are basically Kyle Ocposo, um right now with the Buffalo Sabres, who's a terrible contract. I don't think this is a terrible contract because Schwartz is a really good defensive forward, but to pay five and a half million dollars for him for five years, man, I, as much as I love Schwartz and Schwartz is going to be missed and remembered here in St. Louis. And he has been an incredible player. His time in St. Louis, I'm not giving him that money. That's a lot of money for a guy who might not be in my top six in two years from now. This is one of those situations where sentimentality, you have to kind of cut that off from the sentimental side versus the business side. This is a good business move by Doug Armstrong. Agreed. It stinks. I I would love to watch, uh, what Jaden Schwartz is going to become over the next three years. I I would love to see him continue his career here in St. Louis, but the best thing for the blues was to not bring him back at this contract. Yeah. And that that's rough, but I hope he has all the success in the world in Seattle. I wish him all the best there. I think this was the right move. And now, but the tough part is now you have to replace him. Mm -hmm. Now you have to replace him with somebody because you've got one, you brought in one guy, you got to get another, whether that comes via trade from Tarasenko and who you're able to get back there. Maybe it's this Kachuk piece. I don't know, but they've got to find a way to get that next guy in there, and that's yeah. that's the next task for Doug Armstrong. So just keep in mind, too, that Mike Hoffman's name has not been connected with anybody yet, nor has Brandon Saad, so we don't know what that's come down to. And frankly, there's a couple of names out there. The ones on my buyout, Ferrario 5 earlier today, and you still got a Corey Nick Perry Ritchie. who's out there. Nick Ritchie, if there. you want to go that guy. I mean, I'd still James Neal. We still got um, Pia Suter, who I think is a really good option. There's names out there still for you, but... There's also trades out there that I think could be had. Coming up in 15 minutes, the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, will join us to talk about all of the latest. I want to get his thoughts on what the Avalanche have decided to do, letting Philip Grubauer go. He's going to be the newest Seattle Kraken player. We'll talk to Chris Kerber about that coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, Cardinals might have a tough decision this offseason with Paul DeYoung. Just how tough will it be? We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And a young cranks one out to deep left. A hanging breaking ball. Gone! The shortstop comes through. And the Cardinals needed that in the worst way. And they get a two-run bomb from Paul DeYoung. That's what it sounded like last night from our guy Danny Mack on Bally Sports Midwest. Paul DeYoung hits another homer, and he's been good in his last 20 games or so. In his last 21 starts, he has six home runs for the Cardinals. He's batting 325 in that stretch with an OPS above 1,000. So this is basically over the last month. What we've seen from him has been super impressive. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, I think this is going to be a very interesting second half for Paul DeYoung. 
Because at the end of the first half, we were all looking for how the Cardinals could upgrade offensively at shortstop. I don't think he's going to hit 325 the rest of the way. But what if he looks like his former self the rest of the second half? He hits 270. It's maybe 10 to 15 home runs in the second half of the year. And he looks like a guy that can be a power producing shortstop for you again in the future. Does that make it a difficult decision for you in the offseason? Or does that first half have such a bitter taste in your mouth that you're still looking to move forward? I guess it depends on what the change looks like. Like, does it look like he made he made correct it looks like what changes? we've seen so far in the second half? But what I'm saying is, is it Harrison Bader-esque where it looks like he's made the adjustments and he's on track to continue this? Or does it just look like he's hit a hot streak? Because if it's a hot streak, then no, I don't think it makes a decision tough. I think... It's been and T Bone's been saying this for a while. Like you've seen two years consecutively of Paul DeYoung where he has struggled at the plate. You kind of know what he is. So the first half, I think, is more of the norm for Paul DeYoung, with that second half being the anomaly with him. But if he does look like he's made the transitions correctly and he kind of gets the Bader or Tyler O'Neill esque feel where, you know, the the plate approach is different and he's making more contact and it's not home run or bust right now, then yeah, it definitely makes your decisions harder because is he going to be that guy for a full 162 games in a season? Because if so, I'm keeping that and I'm going to spend my money elsewhere to make my team better. But if not, I think you know what Paul DeYoung is. I, I don't think it matters what Paul DeYoung does in the second half for me that I'm going to start looking at other options at shortstop. And the reason I say that is, one, because you've had the, basically two years in which we saw Paul DeYoung at his very low and even if he gets hot, his number's going to be kind of where they were in 2019, possibly maybe 30, maybe not 30 home runs, but about 2025 and hit about 230. But his defense has dropped off in recent years. I want a really good defensive shortstop that can also hit the ball, maybe have some power. And you look at the free agent market, that's what's available. Now, granted, again, I don't know if they're going to go sign that, but I don't want to go into this offseason and say, you know what, Paul DeYoung, it looked like he turned it around. Well, he had two years off. I'm not going to risk him trying to, if he has quote unquote figured it out. I don't want to risk it, and he's under contract for two years, and granted, it is team-friendly, but I don't want to risk it. I'd rather say, you know what, we saw what that two-year stretch was. Let's go get someone that's more consistent. Yeah, the club control that he has makes him a valuable commodity. I'm almost rooting for, if I'm the Cardinals, putting myself into John Mosellock's shoes here for a second, which I know nobody in our listening audience would like to see. If I'm If I'm him... I want to see Paul DeYoung have a great second half so other teams get intrigued by it. Not so I do. If you're looking at what his numbers are so far this year, he has 14 home runs in 72 games. If you pace that out over 160 games, 40 home runs, it's 30. It's the exact same thing that we saw from him in 2019 when he was an all-star. We're watching the reverse of his 2019 season. That's what's happening right now. He's the same player that he was in 2019. It's like Benjamin Button. In 2019, he was great in the first half and fell off a cliff in the second half. This year, he fell off a cliff in the first half, and so far he's been great in the second half of the season. He liked rock climbing. He's <laughs> he's probably going to finish the year with around a 750-ish OPS and be the same guy that he was in 2018 and 2019. I guess the question that the Cardinals have to ask themselves is this. Is that enough? Are you okay with your shortstop being somebody that can hit you 25 bombs in a season, which is good, 
He's going to bat around 230, 240 probably. Going to strike out a decent amount, not going to have a high on-base percentage, but he's going to slog a little bit and below average defense at short. Is that okay? Is that a good enough starting shortstop that you're willing to go into next season in a potential championship year for you with that guy starting at short? The below average defense is why, you, to me, you have to say no. We, you can't go into next season with Paul DeYoung at the shortstop position. At least the Cardinals, I think, even I think the Cardinals would even kind of admit that if you had them on truth serum because – that is the most valuable position on the diamond in the infield, maybe in all of baseball. And we see the crop that there is out there. And you're at the point now to where you're defensively substituting Edmundo Sosa in for Paul DeYoung. Now, I said before the season started, I'll tie this in with Harrison Bader a little bit. I said he doesn't have to hit because he's so good defensively. You put him at a nine, eight hole hitter in the National League this year, he fits there perfectly. Well, Paul DeYoung, sure, he has power, but if He's going to hit 230, strike out a lot, be a nine-hole hitter, and play poor defense. The home run power is nice, but I want a guy that can play good defense and can be an all-around player. That's why I say no. His defense is the thing that really, to me, is going to hurt him, and that's why I don't think the Cardinals should bring him back. See, I say no, and it has nothing to do with the defense. It, It has everything to do with the offense. I don't need a guy that can do that. I need a guy that will do that. I mean, take the sample of what we've seen this season, guys. I mean... A majority of this year has been two, three runs from the Cardinals. Maybe you get the occasional five or six, seven, eight run game, but nine times out of 10, you're getting a low scoring offense from the Cardinals. I don't need a guy who can possibly do that in a season. I need a guy who's going to change the offense. Paul DeYoung's not that guy. If he plays well for the rest of the season, and again, if I feel like, okay, He's made the transition to be more of a contact hitter rather than just the home run hitter. Like Tyler, I don't. I need to see the transition that Tyler O'Neill made. Absolutely, that's a great comp. Yeah, I need to see that transition because then I know that I got a guy who can hit in the middle of my order and fix my offense. Tyler O'Neill, I thought was going to be a two fifty hitter, mm-hmm. and this year in his downside, like his downturn right now, he's batting two eighty. And that's that's been the big change is he's making contact and he's finding a way to get on base even without some of those power surges. The problem is you have a ton of guys that do what Harrison Bader does, what T-Bone just said. You got a ton of guys who don't have to hit that number for you, but if they do, that's great. That sounds like a lot of guys who hit at the bottom of your order. You have two guys who can hit in the middle of your order, and you need somebody else. You need somebody else, and if Paul DeYoung can't be that, then frankly you need to spend the money elsewhere for a guy who can do that, and that's a shortstop. I thought for me, Jim Bowden said the perfect, had the perfect way to frame this yesterday because the question that Tanner brought up earlier is a fair one. Are the Cardinals really going to invest in that position when they have so much already invested in Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt? Jim Bowden, I asked him that yesterday. Here's what he had to say. Over the years, there's been a lot of bad contracts. That's not how it works. To win championships, you've got to spend the money on the big, important players, the starting rotation and the bats in the middle, and then you can. I mean, all you got to do is look at Tampa Bay and San Francisco and Oakland. You can win with average players around the diamond. You you can win with average and above average players as long as you have the stars that can carry you. The stars that can carry you? are Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and whoever that shortstop is that you would sign in free agency. Those guys, that trio in the middle of your order, that's how you become a stud team. And if you have those three, and around them you add pieces like Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader, Tommy Edmond, maybe you go out there, Nolan Gorman, maybe he comes up next year, you get a DH that can hit at a $10 million a year rate. Okay, now we're talking about a lineup that can compete against the Dodgers, Padres, whoever. That's how you do it.
but it would require them to invest very heavily in their infield. And as much as I would like to see that, I just don't know that that's something this team is going to be willing to do. Yeah, and that's the problem because they don't want to commit all that money to the infield. And I understand that's a lot of money. It's not our money to spend. And there are other holes that need to be filled. We've talked a lot about the pitching depth for this team, and you need to fix that. But, man, if you want to be a World Series contender and if you just don't want to sit here and, to be frank, mediocrity, you got to spend that money on a big bat because otherwise you're going to be the same team every year. To put a bow on it for me, are the Cardinals going to have a tough decision with Paul DeYoung for them? Yes. For me, the decision would be pretty simple, and I think it's because we've already seen this before. His second half this year is the 2019 in reverse. Mm-hmm. I've seen what this looks like. He's a solid player. I'm not sure he's the guy that I'd be building around at shortstop, and when you have so many other options, the potential of losing out on one of those stars because you wanted to see what another year looks like of Paul DeYoung is something that I wouldn't be willing to do, but it all starts at the top. Is the ownership willing and is the general manager willing to spend that big sum of money? Because it's going to be a lot on one of those free agent shortstops. If the answer is no, then you stick with DeYoung because at least you know he's capable. Coming up next, the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, joins the show. Ask him about all of the free agent acquisitions that have been made today. But in particular, the central division is very interesting going into next year. Chicago's got a lot better. The Avalanche brought back Landeskog, but ended up letting their goaltender work. How is that going to go down? We'll talk to Chris Kerr about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line for the voice of the blues. Chris Kerber to join the show on the day of NHL free agency curbs. It has been a busy, busy day already. What has been the signing so far that has caught your attention? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know what? The, the, the signing that caught my attention first is probably the fact that Blake Coleman signed a six year deal with Calgary at, at at just under $5 million. That, that was your guy, that I, too, Curbs. That was your guy. It, it was. Uh, it still is. I, I really thought that his style of play is is something that would, would really help the Blues here. And and the number is right. Honestly, the number is right about where I expected him to be. So that's, that's a great signing from Calgary. I, I think the other one that kind of jumps off the page at you is after uh, the Seattle Kraken go out and sign Dreger as their goaltender from Florida, they just inked Grubauer. So, you know, they have a fantastic goaltending tandem that is frankly a lot better than than a good number of teams that have played games in the National Hockey League. So, to me, those those are probably the two that that jump off the page. Uh, that that's actually a, you know, Calgary by signing Coleman went and got a got a Daryl Sutter kind of player, and and, and I think it's going to be good for them. Curbs, uh, back to Seattle, or I'm sorry, back to Colorado with Seattle signing of Philip Grubauer. Are you a little confused as to what the Avalanche are doing here? Because they lock up Gabriel Landeskog last night, but now they lose their number one goaltender for this season. Well, I, I, listen, they had, okay, I, I don't know that the, the, the two are tied. They did say one, but the other. This was a team, this was a team that definitely had some, you know, that, that had some cap space. I mean, and they still have 12 million in projected cap space even after the Landis Cog deal, right? So, you know, you look, you get a situation. The issue that they had, they really thought, Colorado really thought 
that Fransos was their number one goaltender. Grubauer had been hurt. Fransos came in, started to really make a splash. They were starting to turn it over to him, even though he's 31 years of age. And then Grubauer came back from being injured and, and really shut it down. But the goaltending market is one of the more fascinating markets of of this free agency period because there are so many decent goaltenders that have been available. We just saw Tampa announce that, uh, and, and Brian Elliott announced that he's going to Tampa on a one-year deal to back up, you know, Vasilevsky there. But but then you see a team like Edmonton who desperately needed a goaltender, and they need Mike Smith for a two-year deal, you know, right, and, and, and they're going after guys like, um, like Tyson Berry, and they're, and they're going after uh, Hyman from Toronto when they really they, they put that money into a goaltender. I think that makes all the difference in the world for that team. So I think the goaltending position is really a kind of a, a fascinating one to watch right now with the, with free agency. Curves, I'm fascinated by it as well, not just in free agency, but with what happened in the expansion drafts too. Every year, and listen, I, I'm late to this hockey game. You've, you're a lifer in this. Every year I hear around the playoffs, hey, if you got a hot goaltender, if you've got one of the best ones in the business, you've got a chance to win a cup. And then we get into the off season and seemingly every year it's musical chairs with the goalies. And this season in particular, you had Carey Price exposed in the expansion draft, a guy that is one of the best in the sport. Philip Grubauer, who was fantastic this year for Colorado, a team that expects to compete this year. He's now gone on and he's going to sign with Seattle for basically a market value deal. What am I missing here? Why don't these teams seem to value their goalies as much as I would expect them to? Uh, well, part of it comes down to cap management. And what we saw when Carey Price and Sergei Bobrovsky signed their contracts, they signed massive deals for $10 million a year. The Montreal Canadiens and the Florida Panthers felt that locking up $10 million, one-eighth of your entire salary cap in one player, that is the goaltender. Now, that, that emphasizes that the goaltender is that important. But the reality of it is, is until this postseason, Carey Price does, was not living up to the value of that contract until this postseason. And and you could make the case that when, when they went ahead and left him exposed, which Carey Price had a role in, by the way, all right, and then they did pretty well to make sure that they knew he was injured and was going to need some some hip work and or knee work done to make sure that it didn't happen. To, to me, I... I I totally understand Seattle not taking Carey Price in a $10 million contract, you know, for a guy whose save percentage in three of the last four years was under 910. I mean, it was 900 a few years ago. It was only 900 this year. His goals against average over the last four four years has been over 2.5, you know, and, and a year ago was closer to 2.8. This year was somewhere in that 2.6 range. So I totally understand that the Colorado one, is a little bit fascinating to me that they didn't want to commit that much to Grubauer. And keep in mind, they made the deal to get Grubauer from Washington and stuff. So that's a fascinating one where Colorado is going to dabble because you've got a team that is poised and knocking on the door. They're in a championship window right now and need some of that playoff puck luck to help make the difference. I mean, they've got a fantastic hockey team. They need the goaltending, and now they've left a little bit of a hole. That one is hard to understand. But some of them is, and, and and look at what teams are trying to. If you can get your if you can get your combined goaltenders, Brandon. To me, the way this is going between that nine to eleven million mark, that seems to be where teams want to be settling in on for their goaltending tandem 
not just one goalie. Curbs, back to Blake Coleman. You talked about the money that he got from Calgary, and then Philip Deneau, another winger who uh, was paid handsomely, six years, $33 million by the Kings. Does it make some sense why Doug Armstrong and the Blues have been quiet so far at the start of free agency for some of these massive deals that have been handed out? I think it makes perfectly good sense, Alex. I think you bring up a really good point when you see this. You know, Philip Deneau getting that kind of contract, 200 points in nearly 400 games in his NHL career, but he's really known more. I mean, he had that one really hot year a couple of years ago, um, you know, where he picked up like over 30 uh, assists. But even then, he's been hovering around 40 points somewhere in there and had the one year in the 50s, right? You know, even look, and, and I'll relate this, guys, to Jaden Schwartz here. And we can pull it back to Butchnevich and how those two relate and, and the whole process. But to me, you're, you're getting to a point now where you're looking at some of these free agent signings. And even though you've got some cap space, you've got to get your, free, uh, your restricted free agent signed. You still need to recover and make sure that, that you get those RFAs in camp and you've got your depth set for the St. Louis Blues, right? But so far, in my opinion, except for the Coleman contract, I still like that Coleman contract. I would have liked it a lot more at four years or five years, but I like the Coleman contract just because I think it's a fair price for a player that, based on how he's paid, I think is going to deliver more than the contract value. To me, uh, I think these prices are high. And Doug, and you have to keep in mind, this isn't just about this season. While the Blues are going to be a cap team, right? What, one thing that would have benefited the St. Louis Blues, I think, over the last couple of seasons is if come the trade deadline time, they have some cap space available to add and don't necessarily always have to be a dollar-in, dollar-out team. So just because they're not spending or aren't maybe, and they still might be because they have been, I'm just saying that if something happens where they are not right up against the cap at the beginning of this season, doesn't mean that they're not playing as a cap team. That gives you some room to make moves as your team sees fit. I so far haven't seen great value in some of these free agent contracts. Curbs, the name that we've heard a lot about locally over the last few weeks is uh, Brandon Sod as a potential top six forward for the Blues. Given what the prices have been out there, and I, we we agree with you. We've been saying, remarking the same thing all day, is that, man, in a flat cap system right now, these are some startlingly high prices for some of these players. I would imagine you're going to see something like five and a half to $6 million per year for Brandon Saad. Is that the type of a deal that you think might get a little bit too expensive for the Blues now? I, I, I do. I believe it is because you're, Brandon Saad is a, is a 28-year-old player, and he's He's got a good pedigree, having won the two Stanley Cups with Chicago that he was a part of, right? But you're looking at a player that had, what, 370 points or so in 600 and, and something games. If you compare that to Jaden Schwartz, Jaden Schwartz finished his career with the Blues with 385 points in 560 games. You know, from a Brandon Sod standpoint, that's just about 80 games less, 90 games less uh, or more than, than Jaden Schwartz. So you're looking at that type of production from the guy, right? Again, in the 50s in terms of points, Schwartz was only in the 60s one time. Brandon Sott has never hit the level of 60 in points. And guys, I think this is really important to relate this back to Pavel Butchnevich for, for Blues fans. The reason is, is you gave up Sammy Blay, a player that sometimes played in your top six and then would go to be in a healthy scratch. And then you had to give up a second round pick. But you get a guy, right, who has just about had just about the same number of points and the same number of games played as Jaden Schwartz had, right? And then at the same time, you're looking at a scenario where this guy's only 26 years of age 
and you lock them up for just under $6 million on a four-year plan. And once again, it becomes a player with still with really good upside, having only played five years in the National Hockey League, right, versus the 10 years that Jaden Schwartz has played, okay, and you're getting him for that price level and only on a four-year contract. Once again, Doug Armstrong is proving to be a real master of cap management for the St. Louis Blues. And I think, like, I, I'll tell you what, if you ask most of these general managers, if you ask, if you ask Brad Trey Living, would you have rather have Pavel Butchnevich for the next four years at six million, or versus Blake Coleman, or would you have Pavel Butchnevich for uh, versus Philip Deneau if you asked LA for the deal they signed, or I guarantee if you asked Seattle, would you rather have Pavel Butchnevich for that deal versus what they just signed Jaden Schwartz to? They're taking the deal that Doug Armstrong signed every day of the week. Curbs, final one from me, uh, of course. A few years ago, Doug Armstrong made some moves in free agency in Tyler Bozak and David Perron, but then he made the big trade that night for Ryan O'Reilly with the Buffalo Sabres. Do you see another scenario kind of like that where Doug still has a trade in the works at some point through the start of free agency? Uh, you know what, if it's open there, I don't know that they've had a lot of work. I think Doug's comments, and he's always been very true. When he met the media and he said, look, we also have to see where some guys can, can play in there. And, and look, just like the Cardinals have relied on having some young guys are going to have to step up, just like the Blues a season ago and the Blues this season, some of those key holes are still going to have to be filled by some progression of your young guys. And that's how it has to work in a cap scenario. So we know, Doug, I would not rule it out, you know, if something is available. But I, I don't know that anything is as imminent like, like it felt that time. I will say on, on, on two quick fronts here before I wrap it up, guys. One, I, I don't like the way the Schwartz signing looks with the Seattle Kraken, right? I, I think that, and I don't think we'll deal with expansion in the NHL for a while, but this one just doesn't smell right to me. And the reason I say that is because, and, and by the way, I, I I think Jaden Schwartz has every right to go to Seattle, and I'm glad for him that he is. If the change of scenery is good, this has been such a tough last year for him, and I think Blues fans should applaud Jaden Schwartz every step of the way when he comes back because this, this guy was an absolutely fantastic Blue a terrific citizen. Um, we got to know his family really, really well. He opened up his heart. He opened up his home so we could hear the story of his sister. Um, and, and that has turned into some miraculous things together. So uh, nothing but love for Jaden Schwartz and, and the best of success for him uh, and, and his mom and his brother moving forward. But what I, what I will say is, to me, it's interesting that you nearly come to terms with Jaden Schwartz if you're Seattle and then so early on to free agent day, you agree to that, which means his, his representatives that wanted to test the waters, you either tested the waters illegally or you didn't test them very long afterwards. And to sign so quickly to the deal, uh, this thing was, I think, was pretty much done. It's going to be hard to convince me otherwise of that. And the other thing I'd just add with, with free agency here is I, I still, guys, I really like where the Blues roster is shaping up right now. I do think there's still a hole on, on that left wing, right? But they have some options to go into this. And, uh, and, I, and I like kind of where they're sitting with a little bit of cap space to figure things out. I think they're in a good spot. Curbs, we always appreciate the time. Hopefully next week when we talk with you, we've got even more news to pass along for the Blues. All the best to you, and we'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Have an awesome rest of the week. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Listen, far be it for me to, uh, for, to disagree with Curbs, but I disagree with him on this point on the Schwartz signing, and here's why. 
there's a lot of signings that took place in the quote unquote illegal tampering period. Yeah. A lot of them. You look at Zach Hyman. He had been, I know he got permission technically. Because it was a trade that was in the works and they turned it down. But he he was signed to Edmonton like three weeks ago. Look, you yeah. can look around the league and how many of these signings did we hear about like five days ago? That's what I was going to say. Bob McKenzie put a tweet out last night saying it's going to be a fun free agency period. And he went Here's out where and these players are going. 12 <laughs> guys who had already signed a contract. And it's like, okay, so even Michael Russo, who covers the wild for the athletic, he put a tweet out saying, I think the NHL needs to rethink the rules of no tampering because there's been tampering. Of course there is. And there always is. There always will be. There's no way to avoid it. These, these agents are talking to teams. Just let them, let them talk then before. I mean, the NBA does it. I mean, they get to take guys to the Hamptons and talk when free agency before it even opens. Yeah, the just legal let, tampering period. Is just let it happen already because In the it's NFL, going on. It always happens at the NFL Combine. There's places where these agents are able to get to, or they just text these general yeah. managers and say, hey, wh- what do you think is kind of the, the range that you'd be looking at? This happens all over the place. I understand right. it's going to get more attention because of the way it happened with Seattle. The other thing is, if the Blues really wanted to match that deal, my guess is they probably had, again, this is speculation, they probably had their opportunity to do so. I think it was for the best for Schwartz, for the Blues, for Seattle, that it ended up going this route. Did it hurt other teams, maybe, that Schwartz was already pretty much locked in with Seattle? Maybe. I don't think it hurt the Blues all that no, much. No, and though. I don't think Curbs was saying it's hurting the Blues. I just think he's saying, like, the tampering period is a joke to where they say that, you know, it can't go on until free agency opens it. when it's all been going on. And frankly, I, I do think he's right in the point of it kind of screws over all of the other teams that wanted a shot at Jaden Schwartz. But because they, they talked to him. Like, yeah. we know they did. <laughs> it, 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 if and, all of these teams are talking to all of these other free agents, and do you we know think what? that Schwartz was the only one that exclusively negotiated well, it, with Seattle? And I also think where Curbs was getting at is the skeptical part here is the fact that they didn't want to come to terms with Schwartz because they didn't want him to be the selection. They sure. wanted Vince Dunn on top of Schwartz. It That's was smart. The part. It was smart, but it was illegal. I mean, that was the part that I think should be looked at a little bit deeper. I guess. I because don't know then, how you get around Because that. then the Blues still have Vince Dunn's rights, and you're talking about possibly a trade there because they did sign Jaden Schwartz. I'm with you, but how do you get around that? Do you say if you don't come to terms well, in I this legal you, tampering period? I think you, you penalize Seattle for it. Right. But what I'm saying is in the next one, the only way you can avoid that is if you say you're not allowed to sign free agents that you have negotiated with after this period. Yeah, but, but I also if think you if do, you... If you broke the rules, if you're Seattle, you get penalized for it, right? But what's the rule that they broke? I mean, I, I bet you this happens all the time. Well, the rule that they broke, if they broke it, which I, I don't know if they did, but like you can't say, oh, well, we didn't come to terms with Jaden Schwartz, whereas, hey, we're going to sign you. We have a deal in place, but we need to wait until after the expansion draft so that we can take Vince Dunn, too. I bet you stuff like, like the whether it's side deals or a situation like this with Schwartz, I, I, mm-hmm. I just... I can't muster up any sort of frustration about this. He he was going to leave anyway. Well, you know what, BK? Try and get angry every once in a while. Damn it. This hurts <laughs> the Blues fair. here. Yeah, they could have traded Vince Dunn to Calgary for Matthew Kachuk if it wasn't for this tampering. That's a good point. I feel like if the Blues really want to get Matthew Kachuk, they'll find a way. They'll find a way. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
chance to win a four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus the Braves. Next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash features an exclusive Bo Hart bobblehead. The winner must be 21 or older. Tickets are courtesy of Budweiser B-O. and 101 ESPN. You can find more information at cardinals.com slash promotions. Here's how you win. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texter number six and you can tell us what was on Alex Ferrario's swimming trunks that he bought a few weeks ago that he was surprised to learn meant something a little different. If you can tell us what that was, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Your texter number six, you are the winner of a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Cardinals game. All right, last thing here for you. You can join me and Alex Ferrario at Westport Social this Friday. Alex, we're going to be out there from 4 to 6. So put it in your calendar. Already four on it, 6 baby. o'clock on Friday. We will be guest bartending while attendees practice for Westport Social's Bar Olympics. You'll enjoy delicious food, drinks, and your chance to win one-on-one prizes to show off your skills with all of the games inside Westport Social for Bar Olympics. It's all happening Friday night with myself and Alex Ferrario at Westport Social. my skills behind the bar. At Westport Plaza. You're not invited, T-Bone. You're not 21 yet. I think we're going to have a nice giveaway on Friday that goes along with this. Are we? I'm very excited about it. So we will give more information about that (laughs) as we go along. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Fast Lane's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11, right here on 101 ESPN. Never call me Uncle Alex ever. Prefer Daddy? You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. When you need auto parts, O'ReillyAuto.com is just a few clicks away. We offer convenient options for you to get your parts quickly. Order online and pick up for free at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. We'll even bring it out curbside. Or you can have your parts delivered right to your door with free shipping on most orders over $35. Visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.